Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Reactionaries Podcast. My name is Jeff Crisco, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Joe Gruen. Joe, we got a somewhat competent movie this week. Yes, yes. I can only hope to be as competent. As you know, I am fasting for Yom Kippur. I do know that, but the listeners don't. And sorry to all the uh, white supremacists who listen to us who didn't <laughs> catch that. Jo- my religion on you. <laughs> yeah, for pushing Joe's religion on you. Um, so, yeah, t- this week's movie is Beyond the Law, the 2019 Steven Seagal masterpiece. And I keep kept having to look at the title again because I was like against the law, uh, above the law. Some so many Steven Seagal movies are blank the blank. Something for the law. <laughs> yeah, something for, or something the blank or like. Like they're just three three words like flight of fury. Yeah. The good man. It's it's. I'm wondering if Stephen Skull can only keep focus for three words at a time. Well, actually, we learn in this movie he is still po- uh, capable of giving speeches. Absolutely, dude. He gives quite a few speeches in this movie. None of them good. None of them good. None of these ones good. So, um, if this is your first episode of the podcast, welcome, hello. What we do is we watch bad action movies and. Uh, we talk about them, we crack some jokes, we get some insight. If this is your first episode, I ask you, you probably want to go back one episode in your feed to the pre-action for this episode. What that is, is we listen to the trailers and give it sort of the same treatment and we guess what's going to happen. This is our last movie for uh, Seagal September, which kicked off our theme months. Um, so this is the end of September and October. We are actually moving to horror movies, horror action movies. we got a lot of great requests um, from friends and family, we did narrow it down to another Steven Seagal movie next week, That's which right. I've already I've already watched half of. It is very dumb and very bad. Um, that is Against the Dark, and then we're going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Two. Their old friend Dennis Hopper. With Dennis Hopper's back. Then we got Hellbound 1994 with his, which is Chuck Norris fighting against some demon released from hell that has to kill religious. That's something to do with paladins. Yeah, there's paladins, but then I don't know, Joe, if you watched the whole trailer, but they kill a rabbi, so I did see that. Yeah, so <laughs> careful, careful. I don't need you flipping out and quitting the podcast. I'm giving you a heads up. Jeff, with the amount of anti-Semitism I put up with just from the Fast and the Furious franchise, I think <laughs> I'll be okay. Hey, that's true. There was a BDS was a major part of the Fast and Furious franchise, um, and then we have after that. The movie that I think Joe started this podcast for us to do. Yes. Jason X 2001. Jason and Joe has a, a whole like he's going to like he's like, I don't know when, but I got to do a history of Jason. <laughs> so I'm going to do a brief introduction for everybody, for the listeners and for Jeff, because Jeff has never seen, I'm assuming, any Friday the 13th movies. Oh, I've seen the first one. You've seen the first one. I've seen the first one. Yeah, that's impressive. Wow. Um, so you don't get much from the first one, unfortunately, because Jason Voorhees isn't actually in the first movie. But yeah. um, I will go on to explain Jason Voorhees' journey and how over the course of 10 movies, he eventually finds himself in space. <laughs> I know you meant like he looks around and he's in space, but I like the idea that it's a nine movie arc where Jason Voorhees is trying to figure out who he is and what his place in the world is. And then in the 10th movie, while he's in space, he understands his, his role in the universe. Yeah, he, he finds his connection. Yeah. He finds himself <laughs> this very yeah. ephemeral connection to outer space. Uh, so yeah, Joe beyond the law, um, actually mostly a good movie. Very yes. difficult 
for our purposes, but there's still a lot of stupidity in this. But it's so bizarre because it's intercut with this terrible movie that Seagal is doing. So it's almost like Death Machines, although Death Machines was just fun all the way around. But like in the sense that it has a second sub story. Yes. But this one's like interspersed. And what's weird, too, is I'm kind of thinking, what if you you could just remove Steven Seagal from this movie entirely? Entirely. And it wouldn't make much of a difference. Same with DMX, by the way. That's true. Both of those characters, who are the two top build characters in this movie, you could absolutely do this movie without. They do not matter. Yeah. One, one bit. <laughs> so, Joe, uh, let's go ahead. Let's get into Beyond the Law. Crunch the numbers, Jeff. Whatever. Uh, made in 2019. Ching. Yeah, there you go. Uh, made in 2019, so very recent movie. Probably our most recent movie that we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by one James Cullen Bresick, an up-and-comer in the uh, dog shit Steven Seagal movie scene. Well, it's so funny because it starts off, it's like, it does actual credits like it's Criminal Minds or something. And then it has like a James Colin Bresick production. It's like, who, right. you you didn't earn this title. You didn't. No, and we'll never hear from them again. <laughs> yeah, it's no, not actually, like your Scorsese or Coppola or, or anything like that where you just be like, oh, he made this movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Although I need to give him some credit because again, it feels like the director did a really good job in this movie. Feels like the cinematographer did a good job. It even feels like the writers didn't do the worst job. But this feels like a movie that Steven Seagal, just as a preface, Steven Seagal landed in and destroyed. It it is a testament to how truly awful Steven Seagal is at his craft that he can ruin an otherwise competent movie, I would say. Uh, Joe, so I have two fun facts for this movie. I'll go ahead and give you the first one. Steven Seagal accepted this role because he could do his own stunts and there were no stunt doubles. Okay. Stunts! <laughs> With the biggest air quotes in the world. Well, he just kind that. of stands there and just kind of flicks his wrist around and kills people. Those are his stunts. Oh, Jeff, but he doesn't do it until the very, very end. It's like 99% of the movie is him sitting on his ass. Like. Yeah, so Steven Seagal's the action star in this movie. And yeah, he doesn't get out of a chair. Like we, when we first see him, he's walking. And then that's yeah. the last time we see him standing until the very end of the Oh no, he's shooting a gun. No, okay, so he does lecture his son a few times in this movie and he gets up gingerly a few times. You can definitely tell. Well, he's an old man now. He's 66, 67 when this movie was made. So, um Thank God for shoe polish, because he's still got black hair all around. That's right. Uh, um, but yeah, he's an old man in this movie. And yeah, I would also, you said there were some competent people in this movie. I would throw the composer in as yeah. a competent person. Absolutely. You were saying, yeah, you were saying like, you think that the, uh, from the trailer, that it was edited to look like a good movie. I think that they ended up with a movie that was part good, part really, really, really bad. Which and is they why could, we only got two Seagal scenes in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so all right let's uh, uh no wait jump right into the budget sorry yeah, I cut myself okay, off. let's keep going back to the budget yeah uh budget is seven mil cool seven mil which they got a lot out of seven mil um considering they probably had to pay steven seagal way too much uh and they got some good actors in this we got zach ward who's mm-hmm. been in a ton of stuff we've got uh dmx who everyone knows from his rap career and has actually been in a few movies was actually in a movie with nas that was not too bad called did nas, Pres- did, did nas die no no he was in uh, it <laughs> he didn't get a chance to 
to practice then. It was made before Ticker, I believe. It was called Belly, I want to say. Belly. Look it up. Yeah, it's about drug dealers in the inner city. Okay. Um, Zach Ward, really quick. Uh, He looks like Danny Bonaducci. A little bit. Uh, But uh, he is Scott Farkas Farkas from A Christmas Story. If anybody's seen that, he's ginger. Looks like Danny Bonaducci. Called him Danny Bonaducci. This is the first and last time I'll say that in the show because that'll get old. But I just wanted to say Danny <laughs> Bonaducci. All right, continue. Uh, so box offices are favorite. N.A. <laughs> Never made it to the theater. It went straight to DVD where it sold $11,231 worth. I love getting down to the dollar. So it costs $3 to rent this if you rent it. So we figured if four people rent it, that's 0.1% of the movie's uh, entire, like, gross. So uh, so good job. Jeff, this made, like, 15% of Flight of Fury. That is insane. <laughs> this Flight of Fury is an infinitely worse movie than this. Flight of Fury makes no sense, Joe. <laughs> and this movie made way worse than that. Flight of Fury is a fucking student film, basically. <laughs> like... How could you you say that about Steven Seagal's uh, epic? He wrote that movie, Joe. His opus, his love letter to the world, his The Assignment, his Death Machines. Right. Or no, his uh, Omega Cop. His Omega Cop. Cop. Death Machines was his, like, breaking in. Yeah. Uh, So, Jeff, let's get into Beyond the Law. Yes, Joe. Is this camera angle too far to be considered Dutch? It's what like, because you, you know a Dutch angle, where it's like 45 degrees? Uh-huh. First shot of the movie intros with a car, but it's like, it's almost, the camera's almost 90 vertical. degrees. <laughs> yeah, the camera's almost vertical. It's like maybe 75 degrees. Could be. I did not notice that. Um, but what I did notice are two masked men who descend on a warehouse with shotguns. Uh-huh. That's how this opens. So they kill two guys. And then one other guy who warns them to turn back and then says, they're going to find you, man. So already great intrigue. Um, The guy says, you're making a big mistake. You don't know whose money you're taking. And the mask guy says, sure, I do. And then shoots him. And Mm -hmm. no, wait, no. Then he says mine. And then he shoots him. And then he shoots him. Yeah. But Joe, they said the thing. They said beyond the law. They said, do you think you're beyond the law? They said the oh, thing. Oh, they said in that the, in the beginning? They said the thing, Joe. Wow. The movie. It was so not awkward that I didn't even notice it, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's how good this scene is. Like, I was really already pulled into this movie in the first scene. Wait, you didn't see the guy pull off his, his mask, go, you're not beyond the law. Give a big wink <laughs> to the camera and put it back on. And then shoot the guy. <laughs> and then shoot the guy. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I said so far so good. That's really the only note I have for that. Yeah. Uh, good, good scene. Good scene. You don't get a like. This is such and such as money. He's gonna come get you. Like you don't know whose money this is to start no. with. No. It, it sets up good intrigue. Well done. Well done. Well done, crew. Uh, so then the masked men. We cut back after the credits. Uh, and then the masked man tells his co-gunman, who's this young kid, to keep his money safe. Mm-hmm. And the co-gunman, co- again, he's in his 20s. He looks terrified. Um, like early 20s. Like he's a kid. Very young. Yeah, like yeah. like maybe even 19 or so. But um, yeah, so anyway, this kid looks terrified, but he agrees. 
Um, then we go to Seagal's mansion. And again, like we don't know who any of these characters are. So there's so much intrigue going into this next scene, which is absurd. <laughs> so <laughs> Then we get our first sight of the man himself. Steven Seagal That's is right. in his mansion, comes down the stairs, and there is a fucking prom party going on. <laughs> Who's... Who, who, who is hosting the prom party at his house? Because as far as we know, he has one kid. And it's Danny. We find out later. It's, it's Zach Ward. It's Zach Ward, who's 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he says, like, that's what I assume. Because we don't know that that's his son yet. I'm like, yeah. oh, he must have, like, a teenage son. No. Like, he is. I was I was feeling good about my Steven Seagal's daughter is married into some other mob family at this point. Sort of. Thing. Oh, sure. Like, because I'm like, oh, this is setting up his other family, his family members. And it's like, Pfft. no, nothing. Uh, Seagal even says, what are all these kids doing here? So he has no idea. And then the bodyguard says prom party. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> prom party, Joe. What the fuck is going on? Uh, Seagal has to move his scheduled meeting out of his house to accommodate the random teenager. The, the prom party, yeah. And he just goes, prom. <laughs> like in response yeah. to that prom huh. Like, huh. like okay that, that time of year again <laughs> i love prom you know <laughs> you know what i love about prom i keep getting older <laughs> you stay in the same, same age, age. <laughs> yes <they do. laughs> um yeah so now they're having this meeting and it's in the same house i think in the next it's, i'm pretty sure it's just like upstairs in like an office but it's morning time, and there's no sign of teenagers or a party or anything. So, <laughs> so we, nev- we never hear about this again. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so. Oh, real quick, the party. Yeah. I just want to point out, there's a rap song in the background, okay? Okay, that's, that's, that's a theme in this movie. There, there's, there's, yeah, there's a hip-hop song in the background, so. Also, it says, I'm a rich N-word. I really want to know if Steven Seagal picked that song as his intro music. <laughs> well, you, you might be onto something based off of the uh, the Kate, not the Kate, it's the accent he goes for in this movie. Uh, so Steven Seagal is actually pulling off this mafioso routine pretty well so far in this scene. But this scene will be the high point for him because after this, I don't know where he goes. But well, in this scene, it's like shot well. He's sitting there very sternly. He doesn't have a lot to say, but even his just presence is pretty intimidating. And he's talking to this guy who um, has been fucking him over. So here's what he says. Um, wait, wait. So Seagal is accusing this guy of taking his money, but then he basically lets him off the hook. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. He gives this whole speech. So he says... So let me tell you what I'm fin. So let me so, tell you what I'm fin to do. What I'm fin to do. 68 year old or 67 year old white man. Let me tell you what I'm fin to do. What I'm fin to do. I'm fin to wild out. <laughs> <laughs> me and my boy DMX, we're gonna roll up on your house one night. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, I will let. Oh, I will let you keep all that you have acquired, secretly acquired, and I'll just walk away. How you like that? And then the guy says, are you going to kill me? And Scott's like, yeah, you can leave now. (laughs) (laughs) 
This so this this scene his mafioso thing works because he has the cigar and the cigar he really rides that cigar. But then he does the exact same thing with it in every single scene, and then you're like, oh, this is just the only note he has. Like, well, it's funny because there's one scene where he does not have a cigar and it holds on him at the end of a scene. Like I can't remember which one it was. It must be when his son like storms out of the room when after like, when they're in the bar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he sits there and it just holds on him. And he, like, does not know what to do with his arms. It's kind of like his, his, like, elbows are high and, like... His his sitting style, his standing style is back. Remember when I said he was holding the gun like a cat? Yeah. So he sit, he, he has, like, he's, like, covering his gut up, is I think what it is. So he puts, imagine, like, uh, like underneath, like, where, where your pecs would be, put one hand there, and then the other hand kind of support your elbow. Right. Like, that's, that's what he does. I think he's covering up his gut. Like, it he's like, nobody so... can see this awkward though because they hold on him for a while and it looks like he doesn't know he's on screen like he's waiting for them to yell cut it's it it has real um like you know 72 year old guy who's used to like waiting for his kids to come pick him up energy like he's (laughs) like that's the most comfortable way he's learned to sit like he's just and he's got to sit there for like two hours waiting for his kids to come pick him up right yeah yeah, yeah. like he's just keeping himself occupied up here yeah (laughs) um so, yeah, the bodyguard offers to walk this other guy out, um, which I guess we're to assume that he kills him. Yeah, I think that's that's he doesn't have a uh, Ned Stark energy where the man who, you know, signs the death warrant has to swing the sword. He's just like, yeah, he just lets him go. Um, so anyway, uh, then we flash back to our young current protagonist is this young mm-hmm. kid who is uh, having to hold on to all this money. Yeah. And he gets kicked out of a place called the Razor Room, which is a casino. Well, I guess I put in my notes, it's a casino slash strip club, but I think those are two separate locations. I think they are. It's hard to tell because they don't do a great job of establishing they, what is where or who it runs what or what. There's just, there's so many moving parts that seem to just like, they exist up here, like above the entire plot, and then they just pull things out of it when they need it. But they don't explain what's happening. Around. Right. Well, there really aren't that many locations, but like it's like you said, it's hard to tell who runs what. And these locations are so similar. They might have actually been shot in the same place. It's possible. The interior looks very similar. Like they just move some tables around. Um, but this place uh, also makes its dealers dressed like fucking horse (laughs) that could be part of the mix-up yeah that could be part of i don't know why you'd get so confused joe i don't know either um oh he didn't know that the drinks were weren't free that's why he gets kicked out just make him pay (laughs) which is insane like i I mean i get that he's like part of the crew and stuff but like there's no way like they don't just let you come in and like look at their girls and like I thought this was I thought this was one of those bars where you just show up and they give you drinks for free. Yeah, you guys don't do that. That doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs> and he's so already like, on thin ice, but he's like pulling this shit. So I'm kind of like, what are you doing, man? And Joe, you know who throws him out is Patrick Kilpatrick. Patrick Kilpatrick. That's you right. You loved him and Chuck, didn't you? Your favorite I, I, Chuck. Yes. <laughs> uh, we get our kid's name. His name's Chance. And he, it's a terrible name for a person. It's a dog's name. <laughs> yeah. And he's never smoked a cigarette before this scene. 
Oh, does he smoke it really, really weird? So what he does is he like lights. I've, I saw this so many times in college because he lights it on the side. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because uh, my neighbors smoked a lot. And then there was people they like offer him cigarettes. And I'd watch so many people like smoke cigarettes for the first time. So well, he, we like together. Oh. Yeah. So he like he like holds it like way back, like at, at the tip of the filter. So like 90 percent of it. And then he does the thing where he just like he like holds it and then he transfers it to his other hand very delicately because he's afraid he's going to burn himself. Like you could this guy has never held a cigarette before in his life. Like he's very delicate, yeah. like scared of it. Yeah. Well, he's like going through a nervous breakdown. You can tell like he looks yeah. terrible because we saw him in the scene before and he looked kind of bad and pale. But like in this new scene, he looks wrecked. he's worked over. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Chance returns to his apartment. And we see this other guy from the robbery who's there. And this other guy asks for his money back. And mm-hmm. the kid points to the ceiling. But there's just a phone up there. Um, this scene, we were talking about this before. This scene sucks. Like, it it impacts you. But anyway, I'll finish the scene. Wait, it doesn't suck in the sense that we watch bad movies that it's bad. It sucks in the sense that it is difficult to watch because it is very well done. Yeah. Like at first I was like, oh, this is so stupid. Like this kid is just whining like crazy. I was like, this is bad. And then I, you get the feeling you're like, oh, this kid is in way above his head. Yeah. And there's an immediate sense of danger. Like when he steps through the door. Yeah. Um, I, I have not gotten this feeling in a movie since have you, you've seen hereditary, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, from when they like ten, last 10 minutes of hereditary where they, the, so I, I got the same feeling where I'm like, oh, he is in way over his head. He doesn't know what he's messing with and he's doomed. Like I got the same feeling. Dude, I totally agree. And yeah. and like that is a testament to this scene in particular that like it can even be compared to Hereditary, which is like a brilliant film. Yeah. And it's um, five minutes into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get the whole build up from Hereditary where it's a payoff. This is the beginning yeah. of a horrible misadventure. <laughs> this is the impetus of like yeah. what's going to drive this story. Um, so Chance swears he left the money up there in the mm-hmm. ceiling. Uh, but he gets beat up and killed because uh, and he's like begging for his life and he promises to get the rest of the money and they shoot him in the face anyway. And yeah. Yeah. So I said this scene's pretty well executed. No pun intended. Got him. There. So a couple things about the scene. One, uh, we get something that gets called back later in the movie. Uh, uh, Zach Ward's character says, hey, Chance, boo, which is mm-hmm. his thing, because he says it to Swilly later, who's a character we haven't met yet. But he says that to Swilly later, to which I, I wondered did we watch this movie a week too early? Was this actually a Christmas or Halloween movie? Because he's he's got the ghost going. He's, he pretends to be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> second spooky. Thing. Second thing. The last words this kid hears are so sad. That liquor in your belly, that's <sighs> your only friend. And he puts his gun in the kid's mouth. Like you think I thought he was gonna like be that the warning. The kid was gonna get like two days to get the, the money back, but nope. <sighs> no. Just toast him. But, Joe, yeah. the third thing I need to talk about this scene uh, will undo all the downer for this. OK, So Desmond asked Chance, where's a kid like you going to get all that money? OK, remember, because he says, I'll get you the money back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chance's sarcastic response was going to be my uncle works at Nintendo. You know, the the thing like when your kids like, oh, my uncle works at Nintendo. It says this, that, the other. It was removed from the script because Steven Seagal did not know what Nintendo was. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's like, what is this? this? This shouldn't be in the script. You got to take this out. Dude, he was like <laughs> at his pinnacle when that was at its pinnacle. What is he talking about? I didn't know what Nintendo was, so he had to remove it from the script. 
Oh my god, Seagal is a treat. Um, so then we we get back, we get Seagal. Speaking of Seagal, and he is at a shooting. <laughs> this is fantastic. He's at a shooting range, <laughs> and he is firing at a target that is no more than four feet in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I, I wondered if he could reach out and just push the bullets through the target. <laughs> it was, he could have set it to the cutout's forehead and just pulled the trigger five he times. Was, who was doing the duck, the kid's version of Duck Hunt? Uh, exactly. Up the screen, but with, screen. I'm glad you noticed that, too, because I was like, this thing is five feet away at the most. It's insane. You can see, because you can see his hand, like, when it flashes to the cut, um, to focus on the target, it's like yeah. you can see his hand in the side of the camera. It's they like clear easily spray. could have cut around this. They easily could have done a camera facing Seagal, a camera over Seagal's shoulder where you don't see where Seagal they, is. They CGI his shots later in the movie. What are they doing? Yeah, they could have just, just CGI'd this stuff apart. It's a dark room. It's not like there's a lot of details. They could have just taken Seagal and just literally just pulled these two apart in CGI. It's so crazy. Oh, um, God. So, but of course, all bullseyes, Joe. Of course. He yeah. just racks off tons of bullseyes. Uh, so then we get the bodyguard. And the bodyguard says, I think I found you a new supplier. Can you meet her? Can you meet with her tonight? Skalden says, well, I got to clean up my house after that neighbor's child came and dirtied it up. And uh, how about if I could meet with her tomorrow? Bodyguard. bodyguard. Wait, what were you saying? <laughs> I'm speechless. So he walked in. We get finally a little bit of closure to what that scene we watched. Yeah. It the neighbor's kid just started a prom party at his house and he was just like, cool. <laughs> yeah. He's like, let me just take my my murder in elsewhere. I got this meeting with my supplier, but uh I think I'll just, you know, let these kids have their fun. Yeah. Yo YOLO as they say. <laughs> you're you're only young once. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> Um, so they all start acting. Uh, so anyway, wow. bodyguard then says, I'll arrange that for you. And Seagal says, cool. <laughs> cool. This is his voice in this movie is just so funny. Like, this is such a confident movie, except for when Steven Seagal's on screen and when DMX is on screen. I was, well, at least with DMX, it's like, I, I would call DMX confident in the sense that he blended in most of the time. He fits. He fits, and they don't give him too big of a role. Seagal becomes, like, one of the two primary characters in this movie, and he's just, every time he's on screen, I'm laughing. I, and I, you, we just watched a scene where a kid got his head blown off yes. in a very realistic fashion, and I'm feeling terrible. And then he pops on screen within a second. I'm laughing because he's four feet away from this target. <laughs> yeah, this, from, like, the kid dying to Steven Seagal saying coup is like maybe 90 <laughs> seconds. Like maybe 90 seconds. Maybe. And I I go from all the way from being terrified. I'm telling you, the feeling like the end of Hereditary, the feeling in my chest, to just dying. Just <laughs> laughing. Yeah, so hard. Um, so then we cut back. We get a hip-hop music transition, actually. Second Number hip-hop two. song of the... Um, but this is a transition, which means we're about to see DMX for the first time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, his, his, name, hear it. Yeah. his name is Detective Munts. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> Sorry. 
Okay. Um, yes, his name's Detective Muntz, and he is in the middle of an undercover drug bust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he arrests this guy. He chases him down. He arrests him. And then he he gets him on the ground and everything. He does everything right. And then he pulls out his cell phone before he cuffs the guy. Yeah, he just knocks him to the ground. And is like, you stay there. On on a rule. All right. <laughs> It's like those videos you see of dogs holding their own leash in their mouth, just sitting there. Like, that's that's the equivalent of what he does. He's like, now I'm going to let you hold these handcuffs. So you know that means that you're under arrest. I'll be right back to finish arresting you, though. <laughs> and then he doesn't come back. He just goes to the murder scene. Yeah. Um, Which, this is the guy he shot dead in the trailer. Yeah. The guy the tra- shot dead. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he shot dead in the trailer, so I'm wondering if they, like, focus grouped in there, like, maybe he doesn't murder people over <laughs> when they're surrendering for a drug deal. Deal. Yeah, they're like, in this climate, maybe we'll just make it so he leaves him alone and lets him go free. <laughs> so we clearly established that DMX is on some sort of, like, vice beat. Like, he's an undercover cop that, like, blows his cover to, like, arrest people, I guess, is on what dr- the plan. On drug deals. On very low-level drug deals, but Mm -hmm. he's undercover. So he's clearly some sort of vice or narcotics detective. So, Joe, he gets this call, and where does he end up going? Uh, He goes to a murder scene, and now he's a homicide detective. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He's checking out out Chance's horribly uh, makeuped body. Which somebody will say, well, this was part of a a larger conspiracy, which we didn't know that at this time. We don't know who this kid is at this time. It's just a murder. And so Joe, he goes, he's in an alleyway, right? And he's arresting this guy. And then he's like, oh, I got to go solve this, this young person's murder, a very tragic thing. But first I got to stop and get a cup of coffee. (laughs) Cause all of a sudden when he gets to the homicide scene, he's got coffee. He's got coffee. He didn't have coffee before. Well, Jeff, that's classic, though. Like, somebody just handed him that coffee when he walked in. That is such a, like, cop thing. Every cop movie I've ever seen, someone shows up to the scene, they're like, coffee? Like, there's a coffee guy. I would believe that if it was in a short blue and white cup. Okay. Because that that cop coffee only comes in that that, that cup. Is it in a thermos? No, it's like a short, like, vaguely Greek-looking, like, blue and white cup. Oh, like okay. every cop coffee comes in that in that that thing. Right, right, right. Um, so we can okay. Now we cut to an old man. Well, first DMX is like, who would do this to you? We get that scene from the trailer, but it's literally just that scene. Like, this, yeah. Then it moves on. Do this to you, kid. Uh, so then we get an oldish man who is fishing. I call him oldish because like he kind of looks young for an old man, but he acts like a super old man. He's like. He shave, shave, like, if no hair, he looks like he's maybe 40. Yeah. With, with hair, 55. But he's, like, he's in great shape for how old he is. Terrific Here. shape, as we see throughout this movie. As the kids say, he's a zaddy, Joe. He's a zaddy. But, but he's, wait, a zaddy? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. you're trying to say zaddy, which is a term for grandpa for jews no it's like it's like daddy but it's a noun used for a handsome fashionable sexy man with older man with swag interesting i wonder if they i wonder if they got that from zadie which is like the jewish term for grandpa maybe very strange um anyway he's old (laughs) but not too old and he's fishing and he's coughing up blood in his psycho shack so he's got a lot going on in a psycho shack he coughs up blood. It is one of the first things we see him do. Joe, 
he never coughs up blood. <laughs> Doesn't have a respiratory problem at all, really, I for the rest of the movie. He had lung cancer. So he's sure. going on some sort of kamikaze mission, which may have been in the script, but they needed more time for Steven Seagal. So they had to cut it out. Be- <laughs> <laughs> so you think he had him, Jeff, you think he might have been that egotistical that he's like, I want every second. I don't want him even coughing for a few seconds. In each no, <clears throat> there could have been a little like thing, but they just like they're like, I ah, will just edit around it because we wasted so much time with Seagal. Like. <laughs> Like Seagal scenes took like twice as long to film, so like forget it. Just just take out the the lung cancer thing. Dude, this movie would have been so much more intriguing if he was slowly dying throughout the movie. Yes, it would be. Um, but not only does he spit blood, but like the first, so we first see him do two things. We see him catch a fish, mm-hmm. horribly clean a fish without a fish knife, which is a whole nother thing. But then he coughs for like thirty seconds. Blood. Dr- drinks water, can't stop coughing, spits blood into the sink. You're like, okay, this is the first time we've seen this character. There's clearly something wrong with him. And then they never address it ever again. Never. Never Not, again. not they, even in the hospital. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Not even in the hospital or anything. He's just, that's it. But we do get his name. His name's Frank. And uh, we get introduced to his best friend slash security guard, I guess. His name is Swilly. And he's fantastic. Swilly rocks. Swilly is like an old black man like just just think about how 95 percent of old black men in media are portrayed and that's who he is well but it's fu- it's funny you say that because like as we pointed out this actor who i can't remember his name it's like ben suggs or something is an old black man in movies dating back to the early 90s bill so cops bill, bill cops yeah so he's been an old black man Probably throughout our childhood, which is why I saw him and I was like, dude, I know this guy. Um, so Munts, uh, Detective Munts, goes and visits Frank and tells him that his son is dead. Uh, we find out that Frank was an ex-cop who was a, quote, real badass, but got the job done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and here's the thing, too. D- this is what got me. DMX knew he was going out to tell this man that his son died. Uh-huh. And he doesn't tell him right away. And he's just like, you see the game last night? Like, he's just chopping it up with him, like, before telling him his son died. Like, <laughs> it's like he read a manual that's like, you need to, like, build rapport with soften the guy. The blow. Before. Yeah, soften the blow. And it's just like, you know, they're just chopping it up. Oh, you used to be a cop. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, by the way, your son was uh, brutally shot. Uh, they put the gun <laughs> in his mouth and his brain matter splattered everywhere. But, uh, you know, there, you there a Dodgers was, fan? <laughs> there were signs he begged for his life. Anyway, how about that, uh, that oh, uh, Mookie Betts trade? <laughs> uh, by the way, he was bre- brutally beaten uh, uh, within an inch of his life before uh, they clearly – had him bite down on the gun. It cracked his teeth. <laughs> clear from the forensics. <laughs> but uh, uh, Lakers are in the finals, huh? Yeah, finally. Um, so Frank. Uh, oh, no. Now we get to cut to Seagal because we get a quick cut to Seagal. Seagal finds out the chance is not coming into work that day. <laughs> That's the whole point. This all comes down to an HR problem. Right. Seagal's like, doesn't he know I don't have anybody to cover a shift? You really, you really screwing me here, Chance. Right. <laughs> I knew I had a bad feeling about this one. Um, Frank. Then we come back to Frank, and he's in the morgue. He identifies the body, um, and wants to know who did it. 
Muntz says that he has leads, quote unquote. Very vague, which will be well, a trend throughout this. Yeah. Movie. And then he says they shot him execution style, which they didn't. They were looking at the body. Two cops looking at the body. You can clearly see he was not shot execution style because that's back of the head. Yeah, back of the head is is execution, although technically I guess it's an execution. It's a reverse it's execution, execution style. style. Exactly. Reverse execution style. So at this point, they By don't... By the way, no chance in hell his face stays intact. <laughs> there's also that. Um, there's also the weird supernatural things that happen with the dreams and stuff where the kid's face is just perfectly fine. He can see his whole head and he's fine in right. his dreams. Yeah. Uh, question, Joe. So we don't know who did it. There's a mysterious mob boss at play here. Mm-hmm. Is Steven Seagal Braga? Ah, we don't know yet. <laughs> we don't know yet. We never learned who Braga was. Um, good question, Jeff. <laughs> we'll we'll find him. We'll we'll, we'll fucking get, catch we'll him. We'll get to Braga eventually. <laughs> we'll catch him one of these days. Uh, so then we're at the funeral for Chance, mm-hmm. and Frank is lamenting. Uh, to Swilly, who's also there, not forcing his son to stay at home in the swamp. And Swilly consoles him. Basically says, like, he's a hardhead. You're a hardhead. You're both pricks. <laughs> it's never yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Your whole family sucks. <laughs> uh, Frank then sees a girl off to the side at the funeral and asks her if she knew Chance. And her name's Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And she is Chance's card dealer not not drug dealer card dealer card dealer yeah um she works at one of the casinos that he frequents um and then of course frank she runs off and then frank chases her in a old dodge charger (laughs) couple couple things about this scene joe one chance is buried next to his mom and she has the worst tombstone on earth it's like a rock that they just like they just like like wrote on a rock like it's it's their names were clearly cgi'd on like they weren't actually on these things oh, but hers really? is, her tombstone is just like a rock and his is like an actual tombstone or maybe it's vice versa i forget but i went these are the worst tombstones on earth um she also, probably died before his pension kicked in anyway swilly was talking to him talking to uh to frank and he's like you know he's in a better place all this stuff and he's like right. hold and frank's just like hold on i gotta go talk to this hottie I will back. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 that's fine, that's fine, whatever. I gotta go talk to this hottie over here by the tree. Yeah. Don't expect me back anytime yeah. soon. Um if this swamp's a rockin'. <laughs> don't come and knock me. Uh I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna take her to my psycho shack or my newspaper windows. <laughs> that In should my get her headless the fish. <laughs> um yeah, that was, like, hacked off because he didn't have a proper knife. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, we flash to Seagal, who finds out that Chance was murdered. Again, like, I don't know why they split this into two scenes. Like, the last scene, they find out he's not showing up to work. This scene, he finds out that he was murdered. And this is where he's just sitting in the back of the car. <laughs> so, I thought for a second that he's in his limo watching the funeral from a distance. That's nope. what it first, but no, he's sitting in front of his house in a limo. <laughs> and he looks CGI'd into this limo, Joe. He does insane. <laughs> it's insane. He doesn't look like he's like, he's like, I'm not getting in that car. It's like bad knees, have trouble getting out. I'm just going to sit in this chair. You can CGI me into which, that car. Which, by the way, then there's zero reason to have him in a limo. <laughs> he could just be in his house. Because here's what he says. What a shame. He's on the phone. What a shame. 
Look under every rock. Do everything you have to to find out who did this to that boy. To that boy. <laughs> I was gonna say, he hits boy. He first of all, he says boy like ten times in this movie, and every time. Remember, I said the rock hits the heritage, not hate boy, really hard. He yeah. hits it ten times harder. He's like, we gotta find out what happened to that boy. To that boy. That <laughs> <laughs> boy. That boy. Um. Then he says, I'm gonna head over. I'm gonna head over to this charity now. <laughs> what a shame. I think Stephen Skull made them put that line in to be like, make it show that he's a good guy. He does yeah, charity. No. <laughs> he does totally charity. It. There's totally it. Cause they like try to force you into thinking they try to gaslight you into thinking this guy's a good guy when he literally just ordered the execution of somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first time we saw him, he was ordering the execution of someone, but to be fair, he also lit his neighbor's kids party in his house. That's true. That's true. He has a, he has a sweet side. Uh, that's true. Um, yeah, he says, what a shame, again. And then they drive off. Uh, so Frank is preparing. Uh, we flash to a shack. And he's head, uh, preparing to head into the city. And he borrows Swilly's truck. Uh, Which is, is really messed up. He, like, goes to see Swilly. And he's like, hey, Swilly, um, I'm going on uh, what's probably a one-way trip. Um, suicide mission. Uh, you using that truck? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going into the city. I'm sure they'll be parking. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, you know, I'll give you gas money. Right. And Swilly's just like, that's fine. I'll probably never see this truck again. No problem. Well, he's also going to like the shittiest part of town <laughs> where his son lived. We'll get there. He gets to a bad part of town and then he antagonizes several people <laughs> next to his truck. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> before just like leaving his truck, the truck unguarded. Yeah, they're like, they're like, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? Like, as he's walking off, and then you just know they turn to the truck. Like, yeah, the and it's a time. nice truck. <laughs> it's a nice truck, yeah. It's Swilly's truck. Um, so then we flash to Seagal, and Seagal meets with someone named Karina, who is his new supplier. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Joe. We got to go back to that scene, because we okay. missed a couple things. Uh, one, he goes, Swilly asks... Frank, what he's going to do with all those guns? And he says, you can call them negotiating tactics. To which Swilly says, she. He is a she. And then, yeah, he does one-way mission in Swilly's truck, and he lets out, Frank lets out, the nastiest, like, phlegm snort I have ever heard in a movie that wasn't, like, 80 yard in. Like, he just actually, like, like, this is also, I thought, was supposed to be, like, some sort of, like... I was tracking all his lung stuff, because, so like, is he going to show right. up that he has cancer? So he's just, like... <sighs> like, just while he's talking, and it's, like, not ADR'd in. It's just something that Messner did. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah. And then we get, yeah, Steven Seagal, cigar, little red sunglasses. Yes. <laughs> so he's talking to his new supplier, Karina, or prospective new supplier, because mm-hmm. uh, he killed his last one. So... Seagal says, listen, we just got rid of a lifelong supplier, and I uh, I heard a lot of nice things about your family. And then Karina says, I think she's Russian. I'm not entirely sure. I, she's some sort of Eastern European, yeah. But she says, my family has been in business for a while. I think you should try us. And then Seagal says, well, uh, volume. How about volume? You got a lot of product? <laughs> Karina nods. And Seagal stares. <laughs> like, it looks like there's supposed to be lines there. 
But they just cut him they out. They don't say shit. And then Karina says, you know what you want. <laughs> like, that's enough, like, watching him just stare awkwardly at her. He's like, she's like, uh, or Seagal's like, uh, I need a lot of stuff. And she's like, I have a lot of stuff. And he's like, she's like, very good. I understand. We're on the same page. I'm reading you loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. uh, then Seagal says, all right, babe. <laughs> Which is a weird way to, <laughs> to say goodbye to someone who you're trying to start a business uh, business uh, connection with who you just met. Yeah, just met. Uh, this I just put in my note here. Fucking pointless. <laughs> this whole scene, fucking pointless. I don't understand. So this Karina character ends up playing a role at the very end of the movie, but I have no idea what her. The, it's what's insane about this movie is you could cut out seventy five percent of it. No, there's so many Not things of the movie, like seventy five percent of the actors. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that happen that just go nowhere. Right. It just, it just goes nowhere. Like uh, Karina come, pops up like three more times and I still don't know what her point is in this movie, what she does. Absolutely. Is no. she the puppet master at the end of it all? Like is. But there's nothing to puppet. <laughs> it was, I mean, she clearly didn't puppet. Oh, we'll get to it. But like she had nothing to do with the disappearance of the money. Yeah. It's That's insane. weird. Um, so the bodyguard then comes up and says, well, he wants to talk about Desmond, who mm-hmm. ends up we finding we find out is Seagal's son. And we find out that Desmond is this asshole that just killed this young kid and mm-hmm. stole this money and stuff. So uh, then we get to Frank and Frank is having visions of his dead son in a diner. Um, <laughs> it's really funny because like the waitress then comes up and she's like. Can I top you off? <laughs> yeah, very weird. Like, Betty Boop voice. In, like, Betty Boop voice. And he's just, like, freaking out in this diner, like, hallucinating and, like, wide-eyed. Yeah, he's having... So, the scene... This is also a scene... The transition is really good, because it's the, it starts with a top-down close-up of the cu- coffee swirling. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And then Frank is, like, staring ahead. He sees Chance dead. Chance just does this, like, no-shoulder turn at him really fast. Like... Like, the kind of cuts you see in a horror movie. I'm like, oh, he is, like, freaked out. But, one, there's no no change in music or anything. There's no, like, it's just like, oh, it's there's Chance. Okay. Oh, and okay. two, Chance is not mangled. It's just Chance just, like, being like, hey, Dad. It's just pale. Well, he doesn't go, hey, how you doing? But he yeah. is, like. Yeah, he's freak. He's freaky looking. Stuff. It's like they went, like, 75% to a horror movie scare there. And then they were like, well, we can't do that. Yeah, but then, it's... yeah. This is not a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Then we get Betty Boop. Yeah. So Betty Boop comes up and offers to top him off, snaps him out of it. He notices that that guy he's looking at is not his son. It's not his dead son. They didn't get him from the morgue and prop him up. <laughs> right. That would be a fucked up break. Um, so then a woman comes up and in to console him. This is one of my least favorite things in horror movies. I'd say like a non-Sagal thing. This is one of my least favorite things in this movie is... Not just this character who sucks, but also introducing a character who you just don't know and acting like we're supposed to know who they are. Yeah. Like she just walks up to the table. We find out her name is Ashley. Um, and basically Frank asks her if she still works at the DA's office. I'm like, it feels like there need to be more setup for this character. There is <clears throat> there is a history here, but we have no idea what it is. And like, it never they, gets flushed out. They clearly know each other, but she shows up and it's like Wow, you look like garbage, and your wife and son are dead? Huh. Anyways. <laughs> what do you need? Yeah, what's um, up? 
Yeah. Also, everyone's way too casual about Frank talking about his revenge murder <laughs> that he's about to do. Yeah. Like, she's like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go in. I don't know why I'm doing Seagal voice. He's like, yeah, I'm going in there and justice is going to be served. And she's like, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, sounds great. And then later on in the movie, when he's like, well, I'm not going to do anything. She's like, you're not going to murder people. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole reason I showed up. You, yeah, I thought you I was going to see a dead body. You promised me a dead. It's like, look, I'm seeing a dead body either way. You can decide if you're making the dead body or you are the dead body. But I'm seeing a dead body either way. Yeah, she offers him the uh, Brian Cox treatment. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ashley, we find out, used to work in the DA's office. Frank asks if she still knows people there. And again, this goes nowhere. <laughs> this just doesn't. It doesn't. He doesn't have to ask that question because. He doesn't use whatever connection she has. Correct. Well, except to find out that DMX never ran the ballistics. That's oh, the that's only right. thing. Yeah. But, but I just assume she spied on that. But yeah. But this is what I don't understand. You get the idea. Okay. You know, he's a former cop, but you get the idea when he's talking to Swilly that he's like some small time like sheriff because mm-hmm. he's he talk, says, you know, the people in the city don't care about us. You know, the cops in the city, you know, city cops, they don't care about us. Like there's an antagonism there. But then he goes in the city and he's like, oh, here's my connection at the DA's office. I'm boys with people at the DA's office. And it's well, just like knew that he, you knew that he was in the city because DMX is like slobbering over his reputation as like a shitty cop. <laughs> it's like you're everything I hope to be as a child. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a scene missing where he like gives up on the city. There's some scene missing where or some story where he explains about like. You know, like, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was being a good cop. And then you find out, you know, the city just eats you alive. And that's when he becomes a bad cop, takes it upon himself. And he's like, and then my wife died. And I decided to leave it all. But, you know, I wasn't going to do this anymore. I was going to move out to the country. None the, of that is explained. The city should have killed his wife in some way. It shouldn't yeah. have been cancer. Like, because you're right. That is missing this, like, animosity. He has the animosity, but there's no reason for him to have animosity. Yeah, it's, like, he had a career in the city. His wife died. He moves to the country, and now he hates the city after retiring. It doesn't make want his son to move there. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Like he can hate the city, fine. He's a police officer in the city. He can hate it, but he hates all the cops. Right. He hates the whole system. He hates everything. That's what doesn't make. Like maybe his wife got killed by a gangbanger, and the gangbanger was found not guilty. Right. Boom. Easy. No justice. The cops don't care about them. Um, you know, he's got to go be a dirty cop for a while, take it justice into his own hands. There's an easy out there. But by making his wife die from cancer, it's just like, uh, we forgot to write his wife into this movie. Okay, she's dead of cancer. Like, okay, dude, I, I have it. I fucking, I have it. They just should have made Steven Seagal's character be the one that killed his wife. Oh, that's perfect. And perfect. then grows up, and then they have this rivalry that actually makes sense at the end. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Not just Steven Seagal's, just some guy. At this point, he's just some guy. Right. Um, so Frank comes across, he ends up leaving the diner. He comes across a guy who whistles to him and says, yo, Jinx is in the alley waiting for you. Which, again, we don't know who Jinx is. Who is Jinx? What is going on? <laughs> um, this feels for, like it's a third season. Like, if you just, like, hop yes. into a show and it's, like, the third season, you're, no, like... stepping in halfway here. You're, like, was, was Jinx was that... They're, like... You're like watching or somebody. They're like, oh no no, Jinx was like in the first season, 
And he like was like his informant and he like went to jail and he's like back out of jail. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. And it's like, who's this blonde lady? It's like, oh, she came up like halfway through last season. Like she's like this, this, that, that and the other. Like, oh, okay, now I understand it. But it's just like in this movie. Like, I, I feel yeah. like I have to watch this with somebody who's watched a TV show. It's like if The Wire introduced Snoop in the first episode, in the first five minutes. <laughs> like, you're like, what is happening? Why did Snoop matter? <laughs> what is going on? Um, so Frank goes into this alley, which is a weird thing to do after somebody just whispers to you and says, like, hey, hey, come in this alley. Really ominously, hey, this guy's in this alley waiting for you. Oh, hey, dirty cop, why don't you come into this alley? We know who you are. You're that dirty cop who put a lot of people away. Why don't you come into this alley with me? Yeah, though? we'll just talk. Yeah. Um, anyway, he goes into the alley. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets harassed by Jinx for planting evidence on him few years back and sending him to prison for three years, which is a legitimate gripe. <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, I'm on Jinx's side here. Well, I was until I found out he dealt drugs to kids or something. I Joe, don't know it is a free was. country. Kids it's are free to do whatever sense. drugs they would like. He actually uses that logic. He says this is a free country. And then he gets his ankle broken. <laughs> and he's in a biker cut that says, well, you mentioned this in the trailer. First Amendment, Los Angeles, California. So this biker is way out of where he's supposed to be. He just got out of prison. Presumably he's on parole. He's not supposed uh-huh. to leave the state. Right. So this has to be in California. Yeah. The, the bayous and swamps of California. Joe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Where does this take place? <laughs> uh, so anyway, he beats up all his friends. Frank. This is where we really get to see Frank go into badass mode. He like, Breaks a bunch of guys' arms. He brains the guy with a pipe. He gets hit by a pipe and is like, ow. Yeah, and just like unaffected. <laughs> unaffected by getting hit by a lead pipe. And then grabs the pipe from the guy and just thwacks him in the head with it. Um, also, we find out apparently Frank called Jinx for information. Or one of these guys for information. And just so that's why him. he's there. Which is interesting. Like, I don't know what information he was going to get. Yeah, I've got some gripes with the second drink scene. Okay. More so than this first one. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. So uh, then we get to Frank, and Frank goes to live in Chance's old apartment, which is in the shittiest part of town, where he gets propositioned by hookers and drug dealers all along the way. This is where he parks Swilly's nice truck, yeah. antagonizes a drug dealer, antagonizes two ladies of the night and their and their pimp, and one of them says, two for one again. <laughs> Wait. One, one of, of the hookers says that? Yeah. Two to Frank is like, two for one again, eh? It's like, wait. There's only one. <laughs> well, there's two hookers there, but it's like, the again is what's getting me. Like, oh, because he's been there before. <laughs> yeah. So he antagonizes all these people in the elite, in the farmer's market here, the the illegal farmer's market, and then just leaves the car unguarded to go on, inside. And this is the third rap song in this movie, Joe. I just want to point that out. Yes. Good good that you're keeping track. Um, so he then talks to, like, the landlord and says, like, I want to go live in this apartment. He's like, that apartment's a piece of shit. He's <laughs> like, well, I want to go live there because my son died there. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The guy's like, you know, his brain's like still on the wall. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. You know. Okay. There's caution tape all over the place. This is clearly an active crime scene. There's no way that the landlord just lets him go up there. Yeah. And the kid got put in the ground before they like finished cleaning the blood. Like he goes into this room. There's just blood everywhere. And he's like, this is probably fine. 
I'm sure I won't have any horrific nightmares, you know, sleeping three feet from where my son bled to death with his brain matter on the wall. And yet he does, because there is a bizarre flashback of the day that Chance left the swamp. Um, and he was shot. This scene's shot terribly. <laughs> it's really bad. And the audio is really bad in this scene, too. And it's, the lighting is bad. It's like weirdly like I, I don't know. It's like soft it's, lighting. It's like all of a sudden we're in a poorly shot soap opera. Yeah. Or like one of those joke scenes from like Walk Hard. Where like he's remembering yeah. back and you know being a kid. Because it's like it's also like they're in front of sort of like green screen or mat. They're supposed to be at the swamp, but it's like very close up on them. So you're like, oh, okay. Like it's 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 and the a, camera doesn't cut back and forth. It's just it doesn't a move. shot of both of them. Yeah, I'd like like a yeah. It's just a still shot of both of them or a static shot of both of them. And the, yeah. and 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 Chance is just giving them the I don't want your life. Speech, exactly. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking around. He's like, I don't want to live in the swamp anymore. Yeah. Which is reasonable. And he's like, that city's going to eat you alive, boy. It's like, it's going to be a toxin. It's going to be in your veins. He does that. He puts on a weird, like, accent for just that scene. He's like, yeah. it's going to eat you alive, boy. And he's, like, really intense. And then he's like, well, okay. <laughs> and the son's awesome. just like, I just want to live where there's other people. And he's like, I'm, like, 20. I would like to be around <laughs> other 20-year-olds. Not you and your weird old friend. <laughs> He also like he's like I just want to live in a house that doesn't have newspapers on the windows <laughs> and holes in the floor, which we find out later. There's just massive floorboards missing in this house. <laughs> um, so that then cuts into a second bizarre vision of, of Dead Chance, uh, and this time he's in the morgue. Mm-hmm. So then we, oh, Frank wakes up because of this and finds the cell phone in the ceiling panel. Then it cuts to the mob guys, <laughs> um, Desmond and all his friends, and they're telling this old Jewish joke about super pussy. Joe, it's the best joke in the history of all jokes. Do you remember it? Yeah, because basically the gist of it is, yeah, she's going around. I wrote it down. Sadie's in an old home with dementia, and she wears the little tiny nighty. She knocks on all the guys' doors, and when they answer, she lifts the nighty and says, super pussy, super pussy. Eventually, she knocks on Herschel's door, which, by the way, amazing names they choose. Yeah, great Sadie and Herschel. People, great old people names. Well, old Jewish names. Well, they don't even have to be named. That's the best part. Right. It's like it's like being like, well, John goes over to Bob's house and he knocks on Bob's door and Bob says, who is there? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. There are names in this joke. You just say a guy it goes to yeah. his neighbor's house or yeah. another guy's house. No, but I think it's because they clearly want you to know this is a Jewish joke. I guess, yeah. But anyways, the punchline is Herschel looks at her and says, I'll take the soup. That's right. <laughs> Roll credits because the movie's all downhill from here. Yes. Uh, so Desmond gets a call while he's like shaking his head at that joke. <laughs> and, um, gets a call from Frank. And then hangs up on him. Okay. Um, Which, why would you answer the phone? Presumably he has Chance's number and he's like, why is Chance's phone calling me? Yeah. There's, that happens in a lot of movies where like you get a call from a dead man and you're like, why are you answering? Like, this, there's no way this is a good thing for you. Best case scenario. It's not a ghost. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, best case scenario. It is a ghost. Because if true. it's not a ghost, it's somebody who really liked that person. Who's and is going to come kill you. Yeah. 
Um, so Frank then goes and visits the Razor Room, uh, which is the place that Chance got thrown out of that one time. Oh, we and- missed crazy product placement for Gordon Bear Schaffelweisen. <laughs> they show it in Chance's fridge like they linger on it. Like all told, it's maybe 10 to 15 seconds of Gordon Bear beer they just show in his fridge because because frank goes into chance's fridge for no reason other than yeah that's the scene where you'd expect a clue to get him to the next scene like he finds like a match thing of matches or something or he's like he's like uh he there yeah there's some there's got to be something in this fridge because Frank just opens it and is like, oh, Gordon Beer's Hefeweizen, a more refreshing Hefeweizen for a refined for a refined man. And it's just it's just a little commercial for Gordon Beer's Hefeweizen, which is only distributed in five states, Joe. So we know that it only can only take place in California, Kentucky, uh, Ohio, D.C. So I guess not a state or South Carolina. Very interesting. So you've narrowed it down. Um, also interesting. They say that Gordon Beer's Hefeweizen is a. Uh, the perfect beer for when you're about to be killed by one of your associates. <laughs> Correct. For when you need a friend, your only friend to be the liquor in your belly. <laughs> your belly. <laughs> or in beer chef. Uh, we'll take checks in the mail. So uh, Frank reunites with his old friend. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. First, first this Charlotte comes over and talks to Frank. Cause he's at the razor room. Mm-hmm. And she says that Chance got in deep into debt playing cards and also says that she's seen Desmond before in the club. Okay. And then she like walks off angrily for some she reason. She just leaves. Yeah. She gets so mad and just like walks away. Um, then Frank reunites with his old friend, the bartender. <laughs> Joe, the bartender. Don't you love, remember the bartender? So he knows this bartender somehow. I have no idea why. And they said the best line. I thought you was dead. Right. <laughs> it's not a line you give to somebody you've never fucking seen before. Yeah. Or, and you never see again. Right, right. And like, it's fine if it's the, uh, you know, like Dylan, you son of a, yeah, or if it's like, you know, if it's the Dylan, you son of a bitch scene, like, right. It's fine to give him. I thought she was dead, but we never see this bartender before. We never see this bartender again. But he we gets don't up. know how they know each other. Yeah, he's just a guy. And then uh, Joe, you took um umbrage with their glassware. Yeah, the red party cups. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just took the cups from the prom party, <laughs> and just, they served drinks to them in this high class bar slash yeah. casino. Amazing, just great stuff. Um. Bartender then tells Frank that Desmond is Augustino's bastard son and that Augustino brought him into the family business. Okay. Um, Then we cut to Augustino who meets with Desmond and tells a different bartender to give me a minute. He says, give me a minute, bro. Did you notice that? (laughs) Give me a minute, bro. Yeah. I have that in my notes after uh, the exchange goes, how you doing, son? Good pop. (laughs) oh he says good pop (laughs) good pop this brutal kill this man that we watched uh put a gun in a kid's mouth earlier in this movie is like like, oh gee willikers pop how you doing today huh oh shucks i'm not up to much uh so seagal says i was thinking about the family i was hoping you could uh open up to me and talk to me and then desmond's silent 
plays a silent kid routine. Sagalin says, I don't really like to talk about myself, but it seems like I've done as much as I possibly can for you. You know, I love you, son. And I would step in front of a motherfucking bullet if I had to. But I can't really teach you if you don't listen. Then Desmond says, I do listen. And then Seagal says, rather than being stupid and arrogant and thinking you smarter than everybody else. And then I finished this line and it said, be a little less like me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What he says actually is, I wanted to try to beg you one last time uh, to act right. To act right. And then Desmond says, I've always given you respect, Dad. And Seagal says, well, we just have sort of a different way of looking at life. So I'm going to say this one more time. I would really, really highly consider getting rid of your criminal friends, treating people the way you want to be treated. Bring something good into this into this life. Because we're at a crossroads now. And if you make the wrong decisions, you're going to fuck up them. You're going to fuck up the rest of your family. You're going to end your own life. And then Desmond says, I've done nothing wrong, Dad. And Seagal pauses and says, you got something to say to me? And then Desmond says, I got nothing to say. And Seagal says, you got nothing? <laughs> Desmond says, no, not a thing. Seagal just huffs and then leaves. More improv. Great Seagal improv. Do you have the next line? Uh, no, the scene's over. I think you got the next line. No, we're done. No, uh, actually, all right then. the guy from Offset was like, your line! And he's like, my line? My Me? line? <laughs> my line? <laughs> you saying it's my turn to talk? Um, yeah, this... Um, that was the dialogue I was wondering, the scene, but it was very bizarre. <laughs> so, in the pre-action, we postulated a world where Steven Seagal is in the James Bond movies. Yeah. With Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. What does he go on about in this scene? What I is the most important thing? I want to see that more, by the way. <laughs> it's it, it's going to happen. What uh, what does he go on about in the scene, Joe? No clue. He's So he's talking Joe, about... Yeah. Family. Family. Joe, we, if we remember three things from the Fast and Furious movies. Cars. Mm-hmm. The thing they said in every single movie without fail... Ride or die. <laughs> and family. Yeah. Adair is not the name that you would associate with a mob boss family. But do you know what is the name that you would associate with a mob boss family? Toretto. Toretto. <laughs> Joe, okay. I'm postulating to you. Okay. That Augustino Finn Adair is a pseudonym. Because in the thing, we find out he's a former mob boss in the pre-action. He's a right. former mob boss. By the seems like a current mob boss. <laughs> but also seems like, I think old habit, habits die hard is the problem. I see. But could have moved out, changed his name, mm-hmm. changed his life. Yeah. So from here on out, I think we're dealing with Augustino, or, or Augustino Finn Toretto Joburg. Okay, so you believe he's part of the Toretto family. I don't believe that, Joe. I know that to be true. Okay. <laughs> um, good to know. So, by the way, Seagal could show up in a Fast and Furious. I'd be equally happy. 
do you know so we've seen the fast night trailer we'll go over the fast night trailer but when the guy shows up i won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it the guy shows up that made you really mad how happy would have you been if that was steven seagal endlessly <laughs> just like this is a nice place you got here yeah, eating. It's <laughs> <laughs> constantly eating. Well, that gives it away if anybody's seen the Fast and Furious movies. No, no one's going to know. It's Brad um, Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so then we cut to Desmond and his friends, and they're at a club. And this is after Desmond swore he was going to be living right. Well, now he's making out with a girl and choking her for some reason. Very unusual. And she like he tells her to go away and then she's back like two minutes later, just like yucking it up with them. So I guess this is normal behavior from him. Yeah, she just needs a few seconds to get wrap her head around what just happened. Yeah. Um so Frank arrives in time to see Desmond choke this girl, and Frank and Desmond talk outside. Uh Desmond lies about not knowing chance, which is a terrible lie because Frank called him on Chance's phone. Yes, that it doesn't work out very well. And I just real quick, two things. One, we got our fourth rap song. Two, Patrick Kilpatrick's name is Terrence. Pick a better name. I like Terrence. It's a bad like... name. Uh, so Frank then takes Desmond's gun after he flashes it at him, pistol whips him across the face and leaves him there and takes the gun. <laughs> it was a, the best scene because so it's it's the classic like tough guy in an action movie scene two tough guys where they're like uh i know what you did i don't know what you're talking about you're gonna pay for what you did well then make me pay it's like i could beat you to death right here and basically it's the gist of this and then uh uh, desmond flashes his gun and frank just takes his gun out of his holster just like he just basically hands frank the gun like immediately yeah yeah, with no hesitation then he goes thanks for the gun and it was the, or I, I did Seagal voice, but he's like, thanks for the gun. And it was amazing. And he just well, like walks off. Pistol whips the shit out of him first. Yeah. And, yeah, and he just that. walks off. Incredible. Um, so then Frank goes and meets with Muntz, uh, mm-hmm. Detective Muntz. Remember him? He gives him Desmond's gun and tells him to run ballistics for a match on the bullet that they pulled from Chance. Uh, Muntz meets with Desmond immediately after this yeah he takes the gun and uh, that was actually a nice twist like he was just like yeah. i was like ooh, i didn't see that one coming but i kind of no, did it, it it makes dmx's character matter <laughs> like because at the first point you're like why is this guy still in the movie like he doesn't yeah. have, he has a da friend he doesn't need months yeah he doesn't um, need both of them so he elicits a bribe dmx does uh, bribe for the gun and for ongoing information on Frank's whereabouts. So now he is totally tied in with uh, Desmond. Uh, Muntz then calls Augustino immediately after to tell him that Desmond kills a cop, killed killed a cop's son. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's tied into the whole family, I guess. Yeah, he's got he's he's like connected with them at like every level. So he definitely like goes back in time with them. Not like time travel, but like they go way back. Right. Um, so Frank meets with Jinx again. Uh, and this is the scene you had a problem with. Uh, I think I know what the problem is. Jinx says, hey, man, I heard what you said the other day after you whipped my ass. I got a story you might be interested in. I said, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like the last time they talked, Jinx was ready to stab Frank. 
And then he's like, <laughs> hey, buddy. Him. Yeah. For three years, he was in prison. Yeah. And then he goes, are we square, man? <laughs> After he gives him the information. Square for what? Jinx. He owes you. <laughs> yeah. He put you in prison. And then he borderline broke your ankle. He no, he you broke a, your ankle. He, he broke your ankle. Broke it. He beat you with a pipe. And they're like, are we cool? Are we cool? Okay. Also, why is the first thing that comes to your mind after getting your ankle broken? Hey, he, he, I think I got a story for this guy. Like, I think I have some information for him. As I was lying on the ground, writhing in pain, I was like, you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> <laughs> you know who would love this story? I, is, uh, a good friend, Frank. <laughs> my good friend, Frank. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jinx. It, one, tells one thing, real quick, okay. that we we skipped over. Uh, we both have Seagal lines that we've written down for this. Uh, when Seagal and DMX are talking, Seagal doing business, DMX calls him, tells him what's going on, and Seagal says, "Let me talk to my people. I'll uh, I'll get right back to you later. Cool." Oh, he says. <laughs> <laughs> he says later. Cool. Later. Cool. Why is every line that he has psychotic? It is every single line he slips something like that in. Because I'm sure this $7 million budget, Steven Seagal paid at least five of it. And he's like, we're going to say the lines the way that I want them said. Let me, uh, let me do some of this uh, punch up. I, I, I'm pretty good at what, what you folks call improv. <laughs> if that's true, it is actually really impressive that the director of this movie was able to basically build a movie around that. Because like Flight of Fury is what happens when you give Seagal complete control, it's like you get a piece of shit like that. But like this movie actually turned out competent, but it's built around this awful Seagal, Seagal performance. Well, what they did was they were like, all right, Seagal, you go over here. <laughs> you do your thing, whatever you want to do. You're in charge of your character. You do whatever you want to do. And then while he's off doing that with like the second, you know, the second unit, the ADA, then they're over here making a real movie. Right. <laughs> like, they just gave him like tinker toys. They're like, you go play over here. You can do whatever. You can build whatever you want over here. And yeah. then over here, we'll be making a different movie. They hired that, like the, the guy that plays the bodyguard. And they're like, look, your whole job, we're going to give you your own scene, by the way. But um, your whole job is to basically make sure that Seagal comes nowhere near this movie <laughs> while we're shooting it. Um, so Jinx tells Frank that Charlotte is looking to buy, quote, a lot of white or weed. I could not tell what he said. I think it's white. I think the product in this movie is supposed to be cocaine. I think it's cocaine, too, because they all look strung out. Um, and a lot of it. That's what she's trying to buy. Um, so I guess this indicates to Frank that something's fishy with Charlotte. Frank then follows Charlotte home, interrogates her, and gets her to admit that she, in fact, took the money. So, real quick. He followed... You, you, you just yada 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 over the funniest part of this entire movie okay i'm curious so, so sh uh frank is chilling in the parking lot just chilling in the parking lot like three spaces down from charlotte's car mm -hmm. charlotte could clearly see him as she's walking to the car she gets <laughs> in the car if she just looked to her left she'd been like isn't that chance's dad Oh wait, was it his car right next to hers? His car was right next to hers. You can there's a shot of him and you can see her getting into the car. And then she pulls away. And then he follows her and there's an overhead shot 
of yes. them driving clearly a long distance. <laughs> and there's no one else. It's her car <laughs> and his car. And that's it. And then she pulls down this long dirt driveway. Mm-hmm. And so does he. And right. she gets out of the car and is like, oh, my God, what are you doing? How did you find me? <laughs> well, no, she makes it to her door. And then he, like, gets out of the car, closes the door. She doesn't turn around then. And then he comes up to her and she's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like, how did she said, how did you find my parents' house? It's like, I've been following you. for. Th- remember that car that's been behind you for 30 miles? See how that's the car that I just got out of? Right. Um, it, it was the funniest thing. It's like. He was the only other. It wasn't crowded. They, no, they established it was not empty. Crowded. Two cars on the road. That's it. It was a wide top-down shot. They are the only cars. Well, it was a two-way freeway, and there's no one going the other way. No, <laughs> there are the nobody. only cars. Like if she looked around at all, she would have seen his car. Right. So, anyway, Charlotte admits she took the money, mm-hmm. betrayed Chance. She does say she loved Chance, but that she wanted to leave, and Chance didn't. She said, like, Chance is, like, addicted to the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank warns her to leave town because basically says, like, I found you pretty easily. and I, I think followed that, you. Yeah, whoever's money you took is going to be able to find you, too. You have zero OPSEC. You didn't right. turn down. You have zero OPSEC. You stole a ga- gangster's money, and you don't even look to see if a car is following you. Like, you are bad at this, Charlotte. Yeah, you need to perk up. <laughs> you yeah. need to get some coffee and, and be on your toes. Um. So then we cut to Augustino, and Augustino confronts Desmond about killing Chance for the first of like three times. <laughs> he gives he gives Desmond so many chances to do the right thing and just fess up. Well, but also I like, dude, if you had Steven Seagal as a stepdad, <laughs> like that would probably drive you to kill some people too. <laughs> yeah, suddenly uh, Desmond's character really snaps into place. Yes. Yeah, everything makes sense. Um, so Seagal says, it's not like I'm dumb. It's not like I'm dumb enough to fucking not know. I tried to get you to come clean. I was like, oh, is that what that last scene was? Yeah, he was trying. He's like, son, just tell me you murdered the kid. Just tell me. I mean, he doesn't say that. He, like, he gives that whole dude. I'll go back. He had like. No, no, I know. He's he he talks very like uh, indirectly. Like nothing. Like it's like um. Like, he talks like, about family, remember? Yeah, he talks about family, but he's the way he's trying to get Desmond to admit that he killed this kid is the same way like parents will find like a broken vase, yeah. and they're like, "Are you sure you don't have something you need to tell us? Like, right. are you sure?" I'm not going to be mad. I just need to know if something happened. Like, are you sure? And the kid's like, no. And they're like, I found this broken vase. Where did it come from? They're like, I don't know. Dude, when I was five, I had a video game. You remember those video games that were like really cheap that like oh, had like, like the, one-off games? Yeah. With like the, they look like calculator graphics. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had one of those and I was really, I love that thing. And so I took it with me everywhere. I went out in our backyard and I dropped it in a bucket full of water and it broke. Yeah. And I just left it there. <laughs> it's like, I bolted, like I killed a hooker. Like I didn't want to be anywhere near the scene. So anyway, my parents find it, they pull it out of the water, they bring it. They ask me to come downstairs. They're like, what happened? I was like, well, no, first they're like, do you have something to tell me? Like what you said? And I was yeah. like, no. Like, do you have something to tell me? You're sure? No. And they show it to me and they're like, what happened here? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and that was, I was, I remember still viscerally the feeling of being terrified that 
they were going to find out that I did something. And so much so that I lied directly to their face multiple times. This guy killed a guy. (laughs) Yeah, you you broke a game accidentally. (laughs) Which, thinking back on it, yeah, when you're a kid, you're, like, petrified of, like, accidents. Yeah, of, like, fucking up. Yeah. (laughs) Like, having not fully formed hands. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I dropped it in a bucket of water. I'm really sorry. Like... Like I would, as an adult, you're just like, you just, you pull it out of the water and you're like, ah, geez. And then you're like, I, I dropped it in water. I'm such a, such an idiot. But as a kid, you think your parents are going to murder you. Absolutely. You think like, wait, wait, is this like the last day I get to stay here? Yeah. Am I going to be on the street? Cause I, cause I, uh, I accidentally dropped, you know, space gun shootout in the water. Yeah, right, right. Space bombs. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah dude i don't think i'm gonna do that to my kid i think i'm just gonna be like i think i'll just throw the game away and be like dude whatever yeah just be like live bygones be bygones yeah um so desmond says oh no no no, wait we're not there yet uh seagal oh okay augustino that's seagal's character says that frank was the dirtiest cop he ever knew and then he he says this he says I know Chance's father, Frank Wilson. I know him real well. He's the dirtiest cop I ever knew. And he's the dirtiest cop they had on the force. Now, I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with this because he's the kind of guy where uh, either he going to have to die or we going to have to die. And I'm not fin to die over this. I'm not finna die with this is the best line. It sounds like he gets lost in his own life. <laughs> like he's making all of this up. Cause there's like this, this part where he's like, um, because he's, uh, he's the kind of guy where, uh, it's like, <laughs> he's, he's, a he's, a I don't, I don't, I don't like him. And, uh, the thing about people you don't like is, uh, sometimes, uh, one of you's, uh, gotta die and, uh, it's like he's stalling. Uh, yeah, like, like he, yeah, it's like he's trying to remember. He's like, uh, he's trying or to he, keep him on the line. Yeah, I was gonna say he's got him on the line. He's like, because here's the thing about living and dying: is some people live and some people die. And he's just like, there's a guy next to him just spinning his finger in the air, doing like, keep going, five, five, ten more seconds. He's like, well, the thing about living and dying is, you know, so you you live until you die, and some people are gonna stay alive. That is until they die. And uh, it's not up to us to decide who lives and dies. And the guy's like, got it. Got the trace. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Joe, real quick. I want to give you a preview of next week's movie after the speech. Okay. Well, that I think the speech is over. No, oh, that's what I'm saying is the speech is over. Although Desmond says he'll take care of it. And Seagal says he feels like he's talking to a retarded child. <laughs> Which I wrote in giant capital letters across the bottom of the thing. Because that is such out of nowhere. <laughs> Like, he's like, I'm gonna take care of it. He's like, I feel like I'm talking to a retarded child. You no, know, he's like, You gonna take care of it, huh? I feel like I'm talking to a retarded child. Like it's the most he emotes in all of the movies we've seen with him in it. Right. But I um, to hit that hard R. Um, uh, they, yeah, they told him he was gonna get, get to hit a hard R, and then he saw the script. He's like, That's not God the damn one it. I wanted. <laughs> No, uh, yeah. He also tells Desmond to back down. That's the other thing, honestly. So he says, who do you think you are making judgments on who should live or who should die? Everybody's somebody. Basically saying you don't have the right to choose who lives and who dies. Uh-huh. Joe, uh, within the first five minutes of Against the Dark, um, 
Steven Seagal's character, Tao, says, uh-huh. uh, we're not here to decide who's right and who's wrong. We're uh-huh. here to decide who lives and who dies. No way. So Steven Seagal's own character. Steven Seagal rehashing the same fucking line over and over again? No way. But he takes the opposite stance. He says, look, we're here to decide who lives and who dies. Right. <laughs> Jeff, I'm also pretty sure that he has a similar line in Glimmerman, like when his life and death ramblings, like pretty sure it's somewhere in there. Well, the thing about living and dying is uh, sometimes you got to live to die and sometimes you got to die to live. And we don't get to choose who lives and who dies. Um, so Frank, we get back to him. He has more visions of his dead son waking up in a morgue. Then we cut to Desmond and his friends who storm Chance's apartment but Frank is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and they show up in a hatchback. They show them yeah. all getting out of a hatchback. It's like, it's like a soccer mom car. <laughs> a mic, like a, a, a squat station wagon is what all the cool thugs drive to do their crimes. A white hatchback. Right, right. <laughs> um, so Desmond's not there. No, Frank is not there. Sorry. But Frank does blow up Desmond's car before he leaves. Yeah, and luckily one guy didn't get shot because his wife would kill him. That's right. Shot. Real uh, unnecessary, like ladies, am I right? (laughs) Wives, am I right? Well, because they know that like there isn't a wife in the world that's sitting down with their husband to watch this movie. It's true. Like, get the fuck out of here. And some guy's like, "That's my wife. (laughs) My wife would kill me too if I got shot." Yeah, if she stuck around. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, Muntz then visits Frank. Okay? Uh, Detective Muntz. And he... Okay, here's a good question. How does Muntz know where Frank is? And why not just send Desmond? <laughs> two questions. That is a two-part <sighs> impossible-to-answer question. Well, hmm... Uh, okay i got it i got it hold on hold on let's rewind real real quick so frank told months where he was gonna be because he doesn't know that months is dirty yet he's like desmond and them are coming to get me this is this is where i'm gonna be okay record scratch he clearly doesn't not he tells months that he's at his his son's apartment that's the whole reason they're there in the first place oh yeah uh, Joe, this might be a bad, bad, poorly written movie. This one makes no sense. But then on top of that, makes the mistake of not sending Desmond. Not just being like, oh, hey, by the way, that guy, he just told us the fake place. <laughs> like, you just go to the real place, which he gave me for some reason. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give DMX way too much credit. It's plausible that Desmond would know to find Frank at Chance's house, but not at the secret meeting location, and DMX needed to keep his connection secret still. <laughs> Joe, You're I'm, stretching. I'm trying really hard. Okay? I, I can see. You got. No one can see. Jeff's got like a fucking vein pulsing. <laughs> I was like. It, like they talk about if you look up into the left you're like trying to think of a lie like i was i was boring a hole in my i was boring a hole in my ceiling looking up into the left trying to figure this out uh anyway it doesn't none of that matters because frank asks months for the ballistics report which means he still thinks it's coming yeah um frank says you get those test results back yet 
And Desmond says, test results, which is <laughs> a red flag. <laughs> and Frank says, uh, ballistics detective. And Desmond says, oh, yeah, uh, that takes a while. <laughs> They're uh, backed up and everything. It's crazy. <laughs> and he says, call me in a couple days. What's the end game there? Saying, call me in a couple days. He's hoping he's dead in a couple days. But, I guess like, so. Could have solved that problem that day. Um, so Frank meets with Ashley. Mm-hmm. Who's Blondie, uh, the, the DA lady. Blondie who, DA. Who showed up for 30 seconds at the beginning of this movie and is apparently Lady's blonde. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who tells him there's no record of the gun ever reaching ballistics. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, here we go. Now he's got to piece it together now. Frank says he's going back to the swamp to wait for Desmond and that if he kills Desmond at his property, it's self-defense. Note that for later. Very important. Also, I misheard his line. He, she said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm not going to do shit. I'm going to go home. I misheard this line as I'm going to shit and then go home. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, man, because they're eating at the diner and he was eating a giant burger. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, well, got to pass this bad boy through and then I'm heading back to the swamp. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So Desmond visits Swilly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, at his house and basically coerces him into giving up Frank's address to his psycho shack. DMX knows where the psycho shack is. Yes. He could have just told Desmond. Jeff, I think we've established that DMX and Desmond do not have a functional communication. Going the on. communication is bad. It's not good. You need better communication if you're going to do crimes together, I think. Massive crimes and cover-ups? Yeah, I would think yeah. so. So Desmond and his friends storm Frank's shack now that they have the address. Mm-hmm. Frank hides in the backyard and sneak attacks them, kills three of them before finally getting shot in the back by the bodyguard yep couple things about this one there's a scene where where they're sneaking around frank's house where one of the guys just sweeps his boys with a shotgun like the actor like like he comes around a corner and then the actor was clearly told to like sweep with the shotgun but then it pans back and he just like pointed the shotgun at his two two buddies that were already standing there he's like all right don't forget I could kill you at any second. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's like he's playing a uh, Halo or something. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like, ha, 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 just sweeping the gun. Second, so you remember when we first saw Frank. He was yeah. fishing, cut the head off the fish. He gets called out by DMX. He eventually comes back home, collects the guns, gets Swilly's truck, all that stuff. Leaves, goes to the city, comes back, sets up for his whole self-defense thing because he's got a, you know, plan and everything. Sure. How long has that fish been sitting on the counter? Because oh it is God. still there. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Holy shit. The fish is still there, Joe. Because it's That's... clear they just they came out to this, this swamp. They shot all the scenes at the swamp and then moved on. So they just left the fish on the counter. Dude, that's fucking vile. Because you leave a fish out for like two days in a poorly ventilated shack. And Forget it. On a week. It's just maggots at that point. Yeah, I was just like, how does this fish smell? Or how does this fish smell? One, two, the head's gone. Did something take the head? Did Frank eat the head? Where did the head go? He just left this fish in the exact same spot, except the head's gone. For like maybe a week to ten days. 
so gross. Think about how the Psycho Shack smells. Ugh. Um, also, a couple more things. One, okay. he shoots a guy in the back. Clearly not yeah. self-defense. Two, he shoots a guy through the floor. Clearly not self-defense. Uh-huh. Three, shoots a guy in the knee while he's hiding underneath his house. Clearly not self-defense. Uh, four, shoots a guy through the eye. And clearly not self-defense. And then, I mean, I think because they all had shotguns, that <laughs> makes it self-defense. Well, I think the guy he shoots in the back. Uh, five, is he too good at self-defense to the point that he's going to get in trouble for it? Well, he's good enough to survive. <laughs> well, I was just wondering if this reaches Flight of Fury rules, where he's too good at self-defense and he gets in trouble for it. I mean, he doesn't get in trouble for it. Yeah. Also, the best part about this is he shoot, the, the bodyguard shoots Frank once. Desmond's like, hey, did you shoot him? He's like, yeah. He's like, did you kill him? He's like, yeah. He's like, did you check? He's like, mm, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. And then Desmond's like, yeah, fuck you, bitch. And then he's like, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> you know I'm not going to check him. Because the bad guy was like, I shot him in the chest. Bulletproof vests do exist, but... Well, he shot him in the back. Well, I mean, he shot him in the torso. Yeah. He's like, I shot him in the torso. I'm going to assume everything's fine. Let's get out of here. Right. <laughs> um, and then Desmond's like, yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I got to be back at that at that club tonight. Um, so Frank survives, uh, then he has visions in the hospital of the night his son was killed, which he was not there for. He was not present for this. So that's what I put. I was like, he has no, this, this is nothing that's in his memory banks. I don't know what he's saying. His son on the slab, on the morgue slab. Fine. He was there for that. Seeing his son in the diner. Fine. That's all in his brain recreating the first five minutes of the film in his head you were not there for that right impossible all of the like dialogue like the yeah. kid screaming like what he says as he's screaming for his life yeah he wasn't there um so then detective months shows up and he visits frank in the hospital swilly says frank wouldn't want to die in a city hospital also says he didn't get a good look at desmond which is clearly a lie because he was standing right in front of him. He was. They had a conversation. <laughs> a lengthy conversation. Yeah. Correct. Uh, then Munts tells Ashley. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is Swilly. Swilly tells Ashley that she that he doesn't trust Munts. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because <laughs> Munts goes out and with Desmond. But anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say, wouldn't Ashley know who months is yeah yeah but he doesn't so he just says like i don't like that guy or something like that but i mean like ashley works for the da's office she knows frank from being a cop in the city dmx is a cop in the city who knows who frank is dmx works homicides drug dealers their paths would have crossed at some point they should know who each other are who the other person is Oh, instead of him giving her his card? Yeah, it could be like, hey, Ashley, hey, Detective Months. Right. It's just like, it would be better if, like, Ashley knew who he was. Right, right, totally. Um, So, Months. (laughs) Sorry. I was going to say, Months shows up, and he's like, in a coma, huh? Like, yeah, he's like, well, I got questions for him. It's like, it's in a coma, dude. (laughs) Well, he wakes up, let him know I have questions for him. All right, man, he's in a coma. Cool. Cool. (laughs) Um, Munce meets with Desmond immediately after. 
and then gives him a breakdown of everything that just happened and all the people involved. Then he makes a Gremlins reference and gets mad that the 50-year-old Zach Ward doesn't get it. <laughs> like, seems seems your, your problems keep multiplying with water, Gizmo. Gizmo? Dude, he was like 25 when that movie came yeah. out. <laughs> he could have been the kid in Gremlins. <laughs> but um, also, uh, Swilly says that um, somebody helped drag Frank out of the water. Frank was never in the water. I'd just like to point that out. That's a good point. Yep. Um, yeah, he was just on the side of the house. He was on a rock. <laughs> right. Uh, or like over another body that just got killed. Um, so Augustino meets with Desmond again uh, for the final time, I think. Uh, Seagal says, I'm tired of telling you over and over and over and over again the same motherfucking thing. And I said, me too. (laughs) Joe, this is now the third scene. Like, Stephen Seagal just shows up to yell at his kid and shoot guns. (laughs) That's like all he does in this movie. And and stunts. Yeah, those are his stunts. Uh, Augustino is fine with killing, but not like that. Not like that. Uh, Augustino then disowns Desmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Desmond makes a move against Augustino in the stairwell by teaming up with the bodyguard. That's the final part of the scene. Yeah, and um, just real quick, uh, it says, uh, you know, he's saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it break my heart. It breaks. Yeah, dude, Steven Seagal, come on, man. We've seen we've seen Glimmer Man. You didn't used to talk like this. What happened? Dude, Keenan Ivory Wings would have slapped the shit out of him. <laughs> Maybe that happened. I don't know what's going on with Swilly. It's like a generational thing or something. But like Keenan Ivory Wings wouldn't have took, taken that. Well, I wonder if uh, he tried it on the set of Glimmer Man and Keenan Ivory Wings got really mad and so he's like, I'm gonna do that for the rest of my career. That'll show that Keenan Ivory guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so Swilly then leaves for the swamp. He's got to get, quote unquote, back to work, which consists of sitting in a recliner. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do anything. He's in a wheelchair and he's got a when he's not in the wheelchair, he's got a giant stick he's got to carry around to, to stand upright. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't even buy that this guy can fish like he has. He's debilitated at this point. Um. So yeah, I, you gotta imagine because he since he can walk, it's probably like crippling arthritis, which totally. means his hands are probably really messed up. So there's no way this guy is holding a fishing pole. What yeah. does Willie do all day? Nothing. Either, so, he couldn't even if somebody put the pole in his hands, he couldn't get the fish off the hook. He couldn't skin the he fish. Doesn't have the dexterity anymore, Joe. Not a chance. Uh, so then we get the bodyguard. This. <laughs> bodyguard scene that is just so ham-fisted it, it he makes a move against desmond with karina mm-hmm. which i i can't figure out why he's turning on desmond they haven't explained that at all joe um, this is another part where there is a scene missing yeah there, there's a scene before this missing and a scene after this missing because he he gets karina to put something in with the, the shipments well so i have the dialogue here bodyguard says now i need you to do something for me Desmond, because it is written kind of funny. Desmond and I have a little something in each shipment we need you to send over. Not a word to the boss. Don't even talk about this with Desmond. You understand? Karina says, if the price is right, I do. The bodyguard says, just you and me, yeah? Karina starts nodding. And then the bodyguard says, we got it? 
Karina's nodding. Bodyguard says, you like money? Karina says, who doesn't? <laughs> Bodyguard says, price will be right. Deal? Karina says, deal. I have no idea what the fuck is going on at this point. <laughs> I love this scene, Joe, because he's like, will you do this thing for me? She's like, yeah, if you give me the right amount of money. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I'll give you money. And she's like, okay. And he's like, sound good? She's like, absolutely. <laughs> you like money, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, I was going to write the that dialogue down, but then I was like, there's not a chance Joe doesn't write this dialogue This down. is so <laughs> pointless. I just, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is going and, on here? And we have to be clear here because this comes back up. We have to set the stage for how this is filmed. It's about two feet and like maybe two to three feet away from them. They're against just like a blank wall. Right. And it's just the two of them. It's the kind of bordered by bushes. Yeah. It's like the same. It's like it could be in a high school play. It's the same shot the same way as the I don't want your life scene from earlier. Static camera pointed yeah. at them. Two characters facing each other. Right. No, no cuts, no nothing. So we got to keep that in mind. This camera is maybe three feet from them and it's got to be, well, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> so um, we cut back to Desmond. Desmond is visiting Swilly again. This time he's angrier and he kills him. Yeah. And he's got the lighter. We keep skipping this lighter. It's like oh, his, yes, thing. his thing, right? He, so when, when he shows up, he's got this lighter. He likes to flick open. So I think the reason I left it out of my notes is I used to do that in college and I just realized how fucking annoying it is watching it on screen well it's it's just a signature thing because joe it's foreshadowing it comes up later so we need to make sure that people know about this masterpiece we have to stress this movie isn't that bad except no it's not it just has funny as fuck moments yeah um this is not one of them unfortunately desmond visits swilly kills him after a conversation about swamp mentality uh, which apparently consists, I said in my notes, apparently consists of waiting for death and the occasional vigilantism. So I guess it's kind of funny because, like, basically Desmond shows up to his house and is like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, that's great. I've been waiting a long time yeah. for this. He's like, kill me. He's like, put the gun in my mouth. He, like, puts his cufflinks on. Like, he's, like, dressed to the nines, ready to visit heaven. Dude, like, <clears throat> so he's like, you know I'm going to shoot you dead. And Swilly's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like he says you gonna shoot me or bore me to death i got family up there waiting on me up there where i'm gonna go so he's like just get it over with man like i don't need to hear you talk just kill me yeah can you imagine like waiting for death for i, I imagine 10 to 15 years like this guy has but just your last moments on earth have to be listened to fucking some douche just some snobby douche well he's got like last day of school vibes but for his life he's like can we just get this over with like i just i got on the edge of his desk yeah just looking at the clock just like come on just let me just let me let me die kill me please and yeah. um so he does he shoots him and then we get a uh, school oh, out wow. or, no oh um why does desmond go see swilly what questions does he ask him joe I don't think he is interrogating him. I think he's going he to seek revenge. He asks about Ashley. Says the woman. Okay. Well, he says the woman. Who is she and what does she know? Desmond, <laughs> you literally have her business card. <laughs> That's right. You literally know who she is. 
You know that she's an attorney. You could go talk. To, she was Ashley was closer to Desmond than Swilly was. You right. could have seen Ashley first and then swung out to go see Swilly. Well, I mean, this is his city. How does he not know who the fucking DA is? There's also that. <laughs> There's also that, Dobrik. Oh, boy. Uh, so, Swilly's dead. Um, then we go to the bodyguard, who's become a character now. <laughs> he just shows He's just around. The bodyguard bothers Munts at the bar. He calls him. Yeah, Munts and, is chilling out. A- yeah, and sends him a direct payment via his phone to kill frank which did he send dmx a cash app payment like venmo did he he's like venmo for the murders (laughs) for all the killings (laughs) Um, your best bud augustino's bodyguard (laughs) who's we don't have a name for the best part about this scene joe well we'll get to the best part it's the bottle part but if you just watch the bartender it's clearly some guy that was like he's like a craft services guy or a lighting guy and they're like do you want to be in the scene he's like yeah i'll be in the scene they're like what do you have to do he's like what do i have to do they're like just bartender stuff so he's just kind of just like mulling around behind the bar <laughs> he like takes a clean glass off the shelf and starts to clean it oh dude jeff <laughs> he nailed it because i've been a bartender <laughs> and that's what you do a hundred percent of the time all right then and so then um dms uh asks bleh, asks him for the bottle yeah. And he says, just leave the bottle. And he like tries to pour it. He's like, just leave the bottle. He's right. like, the it's see, I think DMX like was like, I'm going to improvise this scene. And this is why I think it's an ADA guy. Cause he didn't know what to do. And DM, that's why DMX just kept yelling at him to leave the bottle. Cause I don't think, I don't think live, leave the bottle was in the script. I think that's what was throwing this guy off. Yeah. He snaps. He's like, just leave the bottle. Right? Yeah. Cause the guy's like, the guy's clearly like not sure if he's supposed to pour it or not, which if he was a bartender, he would just pour it and then close the bottle and just leave it with him. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But this guy's like, uh, uh, do, do I pour? Like, are they going to call cut? Like, what is going to happen here? Like, he didn't know what to do. So I think DMX improv to this scene and the guy was not in on it. I wouldn't be surprised if DMX saw Seagal just improving all of his scenes and was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a big name, too. Yeah, <laughs> I get to do this, too. Um, so Frank wakes up in the hospital. And gets a call about Swilly being dead, which somehow revitalizes him. And he quickly gets up and leaves. Dude, bullet wound, fine. You know what heals a bullet wound? Your friend dying. He was in a coma. <laughs> also, I forgot. Sorry. Sorry to go back to the bar The bar scene. Mm-hmm. I have one other thing. Uh, the main character of the movie, uh, the, the bodyguard, suddenly the main character, calls DMX and is like, you know what happens when you get an itch, don't you? And DMX is like, you scratch it. He goes, you rub it out. What is he telling DMX to do? Because rub it out has a slang connotation. Right. <laughs> but, you know, not exactly uh, to kill someone. You yeah, no, the, he's. Yeah. He's telling DMX to jerk off. Yeah. At, at the hospital. <laughs> at the hospital. So, all right. Back to the hospital. Frank wakes up. Bullet holes healed. Uh, coma over. He's perfectly fine. Yeah. So months um oh no no no! wait frank wakes up pops up out of bed heads down to the parking lot and then fights two dudes mm-hmm. but ashley found out that swilly was dead so he tells he tells frank that swilly died before yes. quick question when somebody is killed you notify their next of kin right yeah 
Do you notify, let's assume that Frank is the next of kin. Do you notify the next of kin's friend? Because Ashley gets a call on her cell phone and is like, oh no, Swilly's dead. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he could have gotten a call at the hospital, maybe. I see where you're going with that. Uh, yeah, I just want to know who calls Ashley. <laughs> That's all I want to know. I just want to know who calls Ashley to tell her Swilly's dead. Maybe it's Willie. He's like, Ashley, I'm dying. I'm dying. He shot me. Oh, yeah. He, like, crawled over to the phone. I did have, like, a weird thought of, like, boy, what happened after he got shot? Did he get shot in the head or the gut? Was he, like, hanging out in his I really cared about Swilly. Like, Willie what happened? Headshot. Headshot. He probably he got a headshot. headshot. Yeah, because there was, like, a begrudging respect for, like, you could tell from Desmond the way that Swilly was handling it. Like, he wasn't begging for his life. He wasn't doing this, so he's like, he's probably like, I gotta kill this guy, but I'm not gonna make him suffer. See, but that's what I was thinking. He's such a sadistic fuck. Like, what if he just got pissed off that he got called a bag of shit and people? He's the type of of guy that would respect that sort of response in the face of death. Because you saw earlier in the movie, he taunted the kid because he was begging for his life. I see. And so Swilly was like, yeah, she gave him a headshot. Well, and he got little digs in, digs in at him, you know. Right. And I was, I, I think he gave Swilly like, hey, I'm just gonna put one in your forehead, you know. Good night, Grandpa. It's a nice thought. I, ho- I hope that's what happened. Um, I hope he was kind with the murder. <laughs> uh, so he fights two guys in this parking lot. Does Frank? And um, it's quick. It's from that trailer. We, we don't have to go over. He body slams a guy, basically. Uh-huh. Well, uh, then, huh? Bullet wounds fine. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's bounced back. Uh, so Munts then calls Ashley to tell Frank that he finally has the ballistics report. Munts finally. <laughs> Munts tells Frank to meet him at Chance's apartment, and then Frank gives Ashley a kiss goodbye. As far as Frank, as far as Munts knows, Frank is still in a coma. No, he comes on the phone. He hops on the oh, phone. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. He hops on the phone. That's right. Um, this is after Frank, the guys that were beating him up, he gets uh, a badge falls out, a police badge. Yes. And it was badge 1157. I just need to point that out because that was uh, my extension. That comes up later. Well, that was my extension at my office. Oh, okay, nice. And I was like, what? I was like, well, am I, am I a dirty cop? little Easter egg for all you Jeff Crisco fans. <laughs> so that's why it stuck in my head was 1157. Cause I was like, Oh, uh, that is my, uh, my extension. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, so then Frank meets with months and confronts him with said badge, uh, by putting it on. Oh no. He, he just shows it to him. Um, wait, 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 hold on. Time out, time out, time out, time out. We forgot. Okay. We are an hour and 15 minutes into this movie, Joe. Yeah. And Ashley introduces a brand new plot point by starting it with, like I said, the DA's office will leave your son's name off the report for the robbery, but they need something on Augustino Finn Adair. It's the only way. Right. (laughs) We are an hour and 15 minutes into this hour and 30 minute movie. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to gaslight the audience by saying, like I said, you guys right. remember how I've already established this? We need this. So that that motivates this the whole thing. And the then, coming yeah. events. Yeah. Uh, so Frank 
meets with Muntz, confronts him with this badge uh, that he got off the guy that he fought in the hospital parking lot, and then accuses him of being on the take, which he is. Uh, DMX says he did it because he's only being paid 46000 a year, and honestly, considering everything he does for the department, I get it. <laughs> DMX is like the jack-of-all-trades for what I'm assuming is the LAPD. Yeah. Homicide, narcotics, And vice. by LAPD, you mean Louisiana PD. I mean Louisiana, Alabama PD. They have one police department to cover both. Right. Uh, Wouldn't it be great if he worked for the LAPD and the Louisiana PD, like, in a flyback? <laughs> His jurisdiction is very bizarre. Um, but, Joe, at this point, the badge is 1159. Oh, it changed? It's a different badge now. Oops. Oopsie-daisy. <laughs> okay, so uh, Frank kills Muntz, of course, mm-hmm. then texts Desmond with Muntz's phone number to meet him at the warehouse. Uh, then we flash to Augustino. Augustino checks the surveillance camera that was pointed right at the bodyguard and Karina while they talked. Which is literally just a playback of the clip of the film because... But they put, like, a heads-up display over it with, like, battery life and, like, the little, like, uh, corner edgings for the framing. and. <laughs> but again, it's not an overhead angle. So this means this camera was right next to them. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, in the wall. Like, it's, like, in a painting. <laughs> like, right uh, there. No, they, they weren't outside. They were outside. So it was, like, in a yeah, bush. It was, it <laughs> or, was in a bush, yeah. But, like, sticking out of the bush because there's no leaves. Um, um, real quick, though. When DMX – well, not DMX. When Frank texts uh, Desmond from DMX's phone, yeah. it's, like, all of a sudden an effect that was never used in the movie and never used before and never used again. It's a text message, but it, like, pops up next to Desmond and is, like, sl- spinning like it's an item in Grand Theft Auto. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and – uh, It is out of place. Yeah, and this movie is in 2019, right? Yeah. Uh, DMX only has, or I'm sorry, Desmond only has T-Mobile 3G. So <laughs> he's killing all these guys. Maybe upgrade your phone, buddy. Um. So then we get a fantastic scene <laughs> that uh, shows Augustino going apeshit because he's just seen this video clip. Uh, and he kills the bodyguard and the other guys that are involved in this heist. Uh, and this is what he says. Augustino says, you've been running behind my back with my boy. And the bodyguard says, what are you talking about? And Augustino says, shut up. Don't say a motherfucking word to me. These are the same gangsters you pulled off the heist with where the money disappeared. And then y'all killed Chance. Y'all want to be a gangster? And he shoots all of them. He says, that's part of life. That's part of the life, bitch. Then he walks off. Okay. I got a few things. (laughs) I'll let you go first. Uh, A, the shooting's clearly CGI'd. Correct. (laughs) He kind of scans the gun across the bottom of the screen, and you can just see, like, this CGI light, like, Photoshop effects, almost. Yeah. And Um, and really bad smoke effects. Terrible smoke. Like, when you watch really... um, like low budget like stoner movies and you they are like smoking yeah. and it's not really smoke it looks like that 
where the actors just like sort of like exhale and they put the smoke in 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 post that's what it looks like exactly yeah yeah with like those little like pop bangs with like the five different you know it's weird um also the oh no wait this also happens completely off screen so we don't get to see any of these guys get shot b seagal's cajun street talk is out of control in this scene (laughs) he just descends entirely into like cat on a hot tin roof (laughs) like insane um c i hate the way that seagal says chance and he's this is like the third time he said chance you killed chance (laughs) chance the rapper yeah um okay that's what i got question at this point nobody knows what's in these shipments right not even steven seagal steven seagal flips out about what's being at nothing's being taken away from these shipments you understand that yeah yeah, yeah. he's just piggybacking on this shipments we don't know what what this stuff is it could be things that are beneficial to augustino and we have no idea but because augustino and it's it's clearly supposed to be a surprise he's like don't talk to desmond about it don't talk to augustino about it he's not taking anything he's adding things to these shipments he's putting (laughs) things in there you can walk into any bank and be like can I put money in this bank account? They don't ask any questions. Right. Because they're, they're, you're adding to it. You're not taking from it. Right. Why is Seagal so mad, Joe? What? I don't know. He's like, he's like, do you know how much shipping and handling is? Well, because they try to, like, merge this. It's really weird because they try to merge this with, like, him coming to some realization that these guys killed Chance. But this has nothing to do with Chance. This scene that he just watched on the on the camera – playback nothing to do with chance here's the other thing he says uh you and run around with my boy but the they say in the camera it's clear he says like don't talk to desmond don't tell desmond yeah so this isn't with his boy this is not with is him doing it on his own a completely different thing so i don't understand how seagal's making all these connections he's dumb joe (laughs) he's a dumb person he's a dumb guy all right, now let's go back to Desmond tight pants. Desmond tight pants. Because they they show the shot of him walking in, and it pans up from the ground, and boy's got some tight pants on, some tight tight pants. You look that way. If you, if you look that way at fifty, I'd be wearing tight pants all the time. Uh, Frank leaves Munce's bloody badge on Munce's passenger seat, his Challenger, um, to trick Desmond. Then he kills Desmond's bodyguard and eventually him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Desmond turns into a bit of a bitch before he's shot. Kind of cries a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit like the skull. kid at the beginning, but not not as bad. Not as bad. No, I yeah, because Frank's like a decent person that doesn't put a fucking gun barrel in a person's mouth and talk yeah. them. Uh, so then we go to Frank. Okay, this is the penultimate scene. You ready? Oh, I love it. Frank goes to Augustino's mansion and brings him Desmond's lighter, which indicates that Desmond's dead, yeah. I guess. Because Seagal says, you being here, I know my son, he dead because of you. Hold on, Joe. Before you get into this monologue, which is a great monologue, we got to set the scene. Mm-hmm. This is one, probably the 
fifteenth time where it's been the shots just been Steven Seagal sitting at a table with a <laughs> bottle of whiskey sitting next to him and two glasses. Because he's got a glass for ice and then a glass. Because I think he takes the ice out of the glass, puts one ice cube in with the whiskey. Sure. But this is like the 15th scene like this, where it's that or him smoking a cigar. I think Steven Seagal is just like hanging out on set. Like, I think think this is actual like whiskey that he's been drinking and sipping between takes and stuff. And he's like, I think he's just chilling on set. And they're like, well, I guess this is his process. (laughs) Like the director's just like, all right, we're shooting this. Now and he's like, oh really? Like he was just like drinking onto the side, like, all right, yeah, we shoot over here. <laughs> yeah, why don't we shoot? Why don't you? I'm not getting up though. Right. That's okay, Stephen. You haven't gotten up yet. We don't expect that of you. That's right. <laughs> you just as take care of yourself. As long as we're on the same bud. page. <laughs> um. So yeah, here's what Seagal says. You being here, I know my son. He dead because of you. So now here we are. Here we are. I say, what an observation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I wish he was like, here we are. You over there, me sitting right here. Here we are, us here in this kitchen, the both of us. Together. That's where we are. <laughs> in Together. the same room. <laughs> uh, so I didn't write all of this, but Augustino basically tells Frank that he tried to investigate who killed Chance. Uh, Joe, I wrote all of this down if you would like okay, to Okay, you go for it. You being here, I know my son. He dead because of you. So now here we are. Here we are. The way I look at it, you killed your son. You abandoned him. He was on the street. I gave him a house, a job, food. When he passed, I'm the one who told all my people I want to do everything I can to find out who did it and bring them to justice. Pause. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But I'm not finna kill you because of, because of my son. I'm going to kill you because of who you are. And what you are. The world will be a lot better place without you. And then it cuts back and forth between them like six times. Yeah. Um, okay. So Steven Seagal is going cards on the table here. He's yeah. like, when I found out your son was dead, I said, we need to find out who killed your son and bring them to justice. I told my people to do that. Yeah. Also, when I found out it was my son... I just lazily guilted him three times and then he didn't fess up to it and I didn't really do anything about it. Didn't really follow up. I didn't really follow through with any sort of my uh, my threats. So it's just so funny that he's like, I did everything I could. Well, in more of a real respect, I didn't actually do everything I could. I, I pretty much did nothing. But I did I, think I, about it a lot. <laughs> I want to know. They're like, we need to pull out all the stops to figure out who did this. And they're like, sir, it was your son. He's like, like I said, we got to find out who did this. Sir, it was your son. It could be anybody. Take you your to, time. <laughs> take your time. You need to figure this out. Sir, it was Desmond. You need to hit the streets. Look you under to... every rock. <laughs> <laughs> Money is not an object. Find <laughs> that boy's killer. That boy, Chance. Find his killer. Chance, boy. Boy, <laughs> Chance. Um, yes. So Augustino, uh, also tells Frank he's going to kill him, as you said, not for his son, but to rid the world of a bad person. <laughs> Who Seagal is. Seagal's a mob boss. Yes. He, he just, Joe, he literally just killed four people. Four people. <laughs> making him upset and potentially 
may be messing with his business. For being involved in a plot that I'm pretty sure he fabricated in his own head. Like, yeah. those could have been three dudes that were not Desmond's. Fr- I didn't yeah. check. It's like Desmond's bodyguard and then, like, his three, like, buddies from, from college. They were just coming to visit. Yeah, because weren't the other three guys killed back at the ranch? At the swamp? Correct. All of his <laughs> boys are dead. So these guys are nobodies. These are new boys. I didn't even realize that. These are a new set of guys because all of his guys are dead except for the bodyguard. He just killed three people and had nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So Seagal stands up. He stands Finally. Up. The moment Finally. we've been waiting for. And uh, manages to avoid being shot while disarming Frank. So that's the he scene manages- where we thought... He shot him in the head, but he doesn't actually. He manages to avoid getting shot without moving. Which yeah. Is very impressive. It's well, a very impressive thing. feat. They yeah. did it again, where they just cut all around, show him standing. He's literally immobile. His shoulders do not move. Um, so I said this. We're four movies in, and I don't think I've seen Seagal perform a single legitimate martial arts move yet. He did it in Glimmer Man. He fought the guy in the dark. But that's it. That's it. That I haven't was, seen it. <laughs> Joe, that was also 20-something years before this movie. And they still had to edit around his non-mobility. Yes. This is, Joe, I just have to remind you, action movie star Steven Seagal. <laughs> Superstar. 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 We knew his name before we watched any of his movies. Yes, correct. So Seagal shoots Frank twice in the chest. Mm-hmm. Frank then laughs. Because he's called 911, claiming Augustino will spend the rest of his life in jail. Or not, because unlike in past movies, this actually was self-defense. <laughs> By, so rewind this movie about 40 minutes. Frank says, I'm going to go home because if you kill somebody in your own home, it's self-defense. And his big plan <laughs> is to go into Steven Seagal's home and get killed. <laughs> Which, by the way, finally he coughs up blood again while he's dying on the ground. Well, sure, yeah, that's when his uh, lung condition kicks in. Yeah, so Frank, by his own logic, his plan doesn't work. Not my logic, not your logic, his own thought process. His yeah. plan doesn't work. He has mental problems. <laughs> an insane plan if that was actually his plan uh then we get a bonus scene we get a bonus scene uh but it comes before the credits really uh-huh. uh, so it's really just the last scene uh charlotte is at the bark motel and this is clearly an easter egg for dmx fans oh nice ow ow i don't know if you caught that <laughs> i didn't until you said that because i made it up uh so then she gets a phone notification that reads the following Augustino Finn Adair questioned for the murder of Frank Wilson and detective Ray Monroe or Muncie, which what <laughs> I, I had the same reaction. I was like, I'm he had a definite alibi for that one. Yeah. <laughs> and also he's so, so rewind Frank is in, Seagal's house. He's in Augustino Finn Adair's house Uh where Augustino Finn Adair had just murdered four people. Yeah. And he's wanted for murder of (laughs) Frank. Who's an intruder. Who's an intruder. A completely different crime. 
And presumably not the four people. I assume the police, I don't know, poked around for other dead bodies in the house. You assume (laughs) their job. But here's the thing. So here's what I'm thinking. I think, I think Frank, when he was disarmed, this is the only thing that makes sense. Does Seagal use Frank's gun to kill him? Yes. Oh, ballistics on the gun. Because he takes the gun out of Frank's hands. Yeah, I guess they're finally doing ballistics down at the station. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. The balli- I want an extended scene where the ballistics came back in like 30 seconds. And the ghost of Frank was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> he said they were backed up. I think he lied to me. That son of a bitch. Um, well, I'm glad also, he's dead. It would also be great if Muntz was like the only one they do ballistics on. <laughs> um, but yes, so... Anyway, she gets this notification. This causes her to panic, and she shits her pants, and she starts packing all of her shit. Uh, but guess who bursts in? Karina. That's right. <laughs> Got to tie up that storyline. So Karina comes in, shoots her while she's begging. End of movie. And we get a fifth rap song. Joe, how does... What does... Whose money is this? <laughs> it, I think it's supposed to be Augustino's. But I, I, I legitimately don't know. But he knows about the heist. And all he's mad about with Desmond is that Chance got killed. So did Augustino order the heist? No. So here's what I think happened. And I think they cut so much of this out to the point where I'm literally speculating. But I do think that oh. since Augustino mentioned it, he said, like, you're the ones that went on that heist where that money disappeared. That's what he says. So I think... They cut all this out. I think it's Augustino's money. I think the son is stealing it. I think he then gives it to Chance, who dies. So I don't think Augustino knew until the very end, when he kills the bodyguard and all those guys, that his son stole his money from him. But they do a really bad job. That makes sense, right? I think I got it. Okay, Joe, I think I got it. But I need to get it out of my head before I forget because it's so convoluted. Okay. okay. Movie opens with um, two things. It opens with the heist of the money where they give it to Chance and they yeah. steal the money. It also right. opens with Steven Seagal saying, I know you've been stealing money from me. And why don't we just part ways? That was Steven Seagal sending Desmond and the boys to go get the money back that this guy at the beginning stole from him. But chance, um, but but Desmond was like, we got there, we found the operation, there was no money. Okay. So, oh, so think, you think this other guy stole the money? See, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because the guy says, do you know who you're stealing from at the beginning? No, he says, do you know whose money you're stealing? And he right. says, yeah, mine, because it's the Augustino, Finn, Adair, Desmond Parker family. Money. Okay. Okay. Joe, I'd like to point out we usually do this after we've seen the trailer, (laughs) not the whole movie. (laughs) That's a bad sign. (laughs) But Um, we have been so conditioned, we've been so browbeaten by these movies that we're like, this is a fantastic movie. (laughs) And this is a huge plot hole. (laughs) There's large swaths of this film that don't make any sense. Yeah. I I, yeah. I I mean, Okay, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> I think, I do think it was Augustino's money, and I do think that's a tidy little plot. If they just 
showed a scene that showed Augustino getting a call going, where's my money? That's all it needs. That's all it needs at the beginning of the film. Like, what happened? My money's gone? Crazy. That's it. Instead of the prom party, for example. There is a dumb guy thing that is like, well, if you leave a part of the plot out. That you think that's what's it's yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Then it leaves the audience it leaves the audience wanting more and wondering more. When really the audience is like So that was just Finn's money at the beginning, I guess. Like people people aren't like, oh like they well, because it's not our job to fucking make up the movie. <laughs> like, it's their trying, job. <laughs> so they're trying to create an air of mystery around this whole plot and like intrigue. And you're like, whose money is it? Is there going to be another person involved? This, that and the other. Right. Where good movies can pull this off because there's little tidbits here and there. There's things. There's actual Thanks. there's an actual resolution. Sure. Like you could go lazy with it and just do. I'm not saying it was lazy, but you could do lazy with it and just do the Ocean's Eleven thing where they're like, here's the plot. Sure. Here's what happened. Right. You could do that, but dumb guys love to be like, oh, but you know what they didn't tell you at the beginning was that was Augustino's money and it set the whole thing in motion. And it's like, I well, shouldn't like, be told. I, sh- I don't. I shouldn't be told about a plot point in your movie. Right. And it's built, dude. I, this is what I hate about Reddit because this stuff's like built for Reddit, oh, God. where like you make a Reddit post, what actually happened, whose money was got stolen, and then you get like. 50 different people giving their intricate analysis and interpretation of what actually happened when I'm sure it was just the director plum forgetting. <laughs> like, yep. Just nobody ever actually thinking about um, what is actually happening. So I'm trying to see on Reddit if there's any breakdown of beyond the law, but there's not. <laughs> Although somebody said, I didn't know whether that was DMX or Gary Payton until I watched the trailer. Dude, he looks so old. <laughs> That's a great point. He aged exactly like Gary Payton. Yeah, he did. Uh, Oh, no. The only thing is a movie suggestion beyond the law for the other beyond the law with Charlie Sheen and Michael Madsen. Oh, yeah. That's the 88 one or whatever. Yeah. So, Joe. Yeah. Best best movie you've ever seen. (laughs) It's in the running for best movies we've watched. If only because there were so many competent people involved. Competent and good. Like, I would say there's some good acting performances in this. There's some great directorial choices and cinema, cinematog- cinematographic choices. Um, and the music, like you said, and all this other stuff. But it's, like I said before, Seagal, like a meteor, <laughs> just bursts into this movie and ruins everything. He killed the dinosaurs. He did. The dinosaurs being this movie. You... When you watch a movie like this, you really appreciate how many different people go into making a movie and how one person doing their job poorly can derail the whole thing. Yeah. Now I get why everyone's on edge on a movie set. Like, you all have to be at the top of your game or or, it's fucked. um, Well, the problem is here is two people ruined it. One, Steven Seagal. It's 100%. Two, the writer. There's so much about this movie that you can like that is good, but at its core, this movie makes no sense. (laughs) And it really speaks to how good a job the director, the cinematographer, the composer, how good of a job everybody else did that our gut reaction to this movie was like, I liked this movie. 
Yeah. But but it's, it's insane. Gibberish. It's gibberish. <laughs> this whole movie is gibberish. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. This movie has the feel, does it not, of a m- movie that was good, and then Seagal showed up, and they're like, we got to get Seagal in the movie. That's probably it. I mean, we already established with the Nintendo thing that Seagal got to do some, had some creative control over the movie because Seagal's not even in that scene. He had no reason to not like the Nintendo thing. Right. The only thing that matters in this movie is that this boy got killed. This guy's son got killed and he's going out and getting revenge. That's the only thing that matters and drives the movie. And it's all you need. It's like, I'm not a huge fan of Taken, but like, its simplicity is its beauty. Like it's just a guy going on a rampage, and that's all this movie had to be. Yeah, it's the yeah. If this was taken, this would be so much better than what it ended up being. That also, penultimate moment in the mansion where these two old fucking codgers, one who can barely fucking move, are facing off is just absurd. Like it, there's no other way to look at it but like insanity. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's it's beyond dumb. Um, and beyond the law. There you go. Nice little bow on top. Joe, that's it. Seagal September is over. We're out. <laughs> Joe, we are. F- let's let's rank the movies. So we've got Glimmerman. Yeah. Ticker. Yeah. Flight of Fury. Yeah. Beyond the law. Are we ranking in terms of goodness or enjoyability to watch? enjoyability because we've established all these movies are bad and we've already established beyond the law is a clear tier separation between that and the other movies yes okay glimmer man is one of the most fun movies i've ever talked glimmer Glimmer man (laughs) rocks i love glimmer man so that's going at the top i I think it's close um boy now now you enter murky territory because this one was really interesting and had moments that are fun to talk about. I'm going to give the slight edge to this one. I'm going to say Let's Beyond see. the Laws 2. Okay. Because I really didn't like Ticker the first time I watched it. But I did get a little bit of appreciation when I watched it the second time and when we talked about it. So I'll give Ticker number three because it has the insanity of Nas keeping his eyes open. <laughs> and Dennis Hopper's selective Irish accent. Don't forget that. And that's as well. So, Which, by the way, that episode has been downloaded by somebody in Ireland. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we must have some sort of like hashtag on it that like puts it in Ireland. Hashtag Ireland. Hashtag Irish stuff. Um, so, okay. And also his creepy kid was fantastic. <laughs> I just keep thinking of that kid and how awful he is. And then the fourth is Flight of Fury, which is an unwatchable movie. Like by every stretch of the imagination. Your, your thoughts? One. Glimmer Man. I'm in agreement there with yeah. Glimmer Man. Yeah. Are we talking about how enjoyable these movies were to watch? Yes. Two, Flight of Fury. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> the movie, Joe, the movie was so stupid. It was so fun to watch because you're like, all right, here's a scene. What do they forget from this scene going into the next scene? And every single time it was that Ratcher was a bad guy. <laughs> Such a stupid line. Yeah. Okay. Flight of Fury. Three ticker oh my gosh wow no, I'm, I'm, I'm just joshing it's okay. this movie okay. ticker is obviously last okay ticker is also a very bad movie <laughs> ticker so 
Ticker is not good and also suffers from they did not have we didn't really talk about this. There was not a good direction with Ticker. No. Because you were they were clearly trying to set up a Dennis Hopper Keanu Reeves parallel like was in speed at the beginning of the movie, sure. but the two guys never interact. There's right. no there's no reason for Steven Seagal and Dennis Hopper to know each other. There's none of that cat and mouse tension. They tried to make a cat and mouse movie without establishing that Seagal's the cat and Dennis Hopper's the mouse. Well, I'm, it's interesting you went with Steven Seagal there because I thought you were going to say um, Sizemore. And oh, Hopper. well. Because that's the real cat and mouse. Again, Seagal's sitting on his ass through 90% of this other movie, the uh, ticker. That's the problem, too. Is the way they it's like they try they were like, Oh, let's just do speed, Dennis Hopper's the mad bomber, blah, blah, blah. But we can't have the same cop. So we'll have the cop that's helping the cop be the one that sees him at the beginning. Uh, the bomb it's just like Yeah, it, and they have that weird mentorship yeah, thing going. That I sent you the review. Uh, did you see the, the the IMDb review? Did you read it? There's no. a part where it's a ten it's a ten star review for ticker. Because I started looking at those because you know, I love how did this get made. So that's what uh, that's what they do. They read them, but I'm not going to rip that off. Yeah. And they were like, my, the best part was when Tom Sizemore fixed the watch without doing anything. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> but it's it's the, the ticker was the worst because they put too much in it. Yeah, there was too much going on that it kind of dissolved into a puddle. There was no there was no arc. Everything was just happening. There was or direction. No I like that idea of direct. Same same concept. But like, yeah, yeah. I had no idea where that movie was going to end up. There was, was just going. things were just happening. There was no arc. There was no continuity. There was no this, that, or the other. Right. For Jamie Presley to be the bad guy at the end is just inconsequential. It doesn't make any sense. But also, sure. it's telegraphed from the beginning because it's her husband's things that are that are that are getting blown up. Which why. It, yeah, it's not a huge leap. Like, at first I was really impressed with myself that I sniffed that out. And then I was like, dude, it's not that big of a leap. Yeah. We know that her husband's connected to it. We know she's working with these guys. So what do we think? Like, she has, like, Stockholm Syndrome? Like, well, yeah. what are we supposed to believe here? It's not. And, and she's clearly not IRA. So she's got to be. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's supposed to be this big reveal. But you're just like, okay. Whatever. <laughs> sure. This movie had better reveals. 100%. DMX being working with uh, Desmond and Finn. That was a great reveal. Those yeah. were great reveals. And uh, and like I like we said, the intrigue in the first 10 minutes. Oh, of yeah. Like, we don't know where who any of these people are, how any of them are connected, but we're going to find out in short order. Yeah, and it says a lot that the best part of this movie was before we knew anything about what was happening. That's true. <laughs> so once the movie itself takes over, it flies off the rails. Right. So yeah, I'll go Glimmer Man. Fantastic, because first you see a glimmer and then you see a man. Um, what was my second? It was that. Then Flight of Fury. Ugh. Joe, it's so much fun. Got it. It's the only reason it was so much fun is because I was like, I need to learn about Bonanza Stan. And then we get to the movie and it's just Afghanistan. It's just Afghanistan. And it, we're not like, oh, it's just an analog for Afghanistan. They say Afghanistan like ten times in the movie. They put Bonanza Stan. In was it in the IMDb? Yes, sentence? in the actual blurb about the movie. Yeah, what is the point of that? <laughs> They're just gonna go with Afghanistan. I don't know. And then this, because this is, it wasn't as fun. 
it had some insane things. It was a better movie, but it wasn't as fun. And then Ticker is just a blob. I mean, I enjoyed watching this movie for the second time. This this might be one of two movies that I actually watched again that we've covered. And I was like, this is totally rewatchable. This and The Assignment. <laughs> right. <laughs> the worst movie ever. All right. All right. Let's 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 clean our hands of Seagal September. So uh, as we set up at the top, next week's movie, we are leaving Steven Seagal behind. We are going to, we don't have a name for it. Spooky October? Spooktober? Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure something out. October Monster action? Mash. I don't know. Monster Mash? Monster Maction? Monster Maction. So we are going to watch Against the Dark, Joe. So we're leaving Steven Seagal behind. And Joe, who does Against the Dark star? Steven Seagal, baby. That's, right that, back in. <laughs> that's for people who just tuned in in the last five minutes of this podcast episode, I guess. This movie was released in 2009, directed by Richard Crudo. Let me give you a blurb. Okay. Vampires have emerged from the shadows to take over the world, decimating the human population. One, I've already watched half this movie. That's already wrong. <laughs> as a handful of survivors seek shelter in an abandoned hospital a sword wielding warrior and his team of vigilante former soldiers step forward to protect humans against their bloodthirsty foes Ooh. this movie is on amazon prime and my so joe i watch these movies is it my, free it is it okay. is free on amazon prime so joe i watch these movies in my office by and large on my office tv and it's logged into my Amazon account. The TV downstairs is logged into my wife's Amazon account. The only things I watch in my office on Amazon are movies for this and movies for how did this get made. Joe, my Amazon recommendations are <laughs> They are ridiculous. They are like, I went through them yesterday. It's like 10 Steven Seagal movies. And like. This one movie that I guess turned out to be good, it was like Fred Ward as like an action star in the 80s. It's crazy. Is Anyways. it Fred Ward and uh, Marcini? Because we do know they do. Oh, no, Burt Ward. Never mind. Burt Ward. No. Sorry. I, no, it's um, this movie is called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. And I guess it's actually a good movie. So I wasn't going to suggest it for the, the, uh, the podcast. But Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, you need to look up the trailer because... <laughs> Ward, Fred Ward is so sweaty in this. <laughs> he is, he is listening. Nice. By the way, I love how you have been relegated to your office for watching these movies, and and that you, like you keep it separate from your wife. So it's almost like you're watching porn. Like it's like I watch the shame. The shame associated with it. Just like knock on the door. What are you doing there? You've been in there two and a half hours. Nothing. Nothing. Done. I'm I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to track the plot of, of Ticker. Jamie Presley's the bad guy. All right, let's let's cut this off. So that'll do it for the last episode of Seagal September of the Reactionaries podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. If you don't like what you heard, just subscribe. We will be back on Friday with the pre-action for Against the Dark. So for Joe, this is Jeff, and... Don't say another word. Jeff, I'm, I'm fin to finish this podcast. Wake up in the morning, I believe I'll dust my broom. Well, I wake up in the morning, I believe I'll dust my broom. Yeah.